do love you, and you know there's something very important we need to do as soon as possible. What's that? Podcast. No, no, boys. Podcast. <laughs> I, I, obviously, that was going to be the line mm. that you used for the start of this episode. We've all known that since time immemorial. Of so course. I took the liberty preparing a few alternate, oh, okay. alter, alternates. I just had to get out of the way. I yeah. know we do. We, it's yeah. absolutely pro forma. It had to be done. Yeah. Uh, I have to adopt my best Alice Hartford voice here. The podcast here. is making you aggressive. <laughs> that's a good one. Not, one on, not on good. my list. I'm glad it's on your list because that's my personal favorite line. When she is having her little titties squeezed, <laughs> do you think she ever has any fantasies about what handsome Dr. Bill's podcast might be like? <laughs> a, a demented line delivery, let's say. That is that is a true, that's a perfect example of a, that's what you do on the 800th. Right, 100%. <laughs> it grows for me every time she, because I always forget that she says titties like that and I'm always like, oh, damn. Damn. It's the Pacino. Great. <laughs> We're just right. like, I'm so tired of saying this line over and over again. Uh, I don't need to know what grows for you every time when you watch that scene. Hey, Victor hey Ziegler says, Bill, I don't think you realize how much trouble you got yourself into last night just by going over there. Who do you think those people were? Those were not just some ordinary people. If I told you the name of their podcasts, no, I'm not going to tell you the names. But if I did, I don't think you'd sleep so well at night. Red scare. And finally... The truth is, nothing happened to her after you left that party that hadn't happened to her before. She got her brains podcasted out, period. I've, I've seen one or two things in my life, but never, never anything like this, and never such podcasts. <laughs> you know what this movie I may have to see the podcast. This never movie has podcast uh, good lines. Yeah. It does have good lines. They're just all delivered in a way where you're like, huh. Yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't think to say that that way. And that's part of the magic, right? No, there was a, uh, a J.J. Uh, Birch, our, our beloved researcher, mm. in his dossier, uh, included a lot of the negative reviews from when this movie came out. By yeah, sure. Top critics at top outlets. Like, this not is a not well-reviewed a film. No, no. It was dismissed by almost everyone at the time. Um, we'll talk about it. But there was, uh, I want to just get this verbatim because there was a, a negative review that had, I think, one of the best positive descriptors of what I think works about this okay. movie. It's right at the bottom here. I'll, yeah. I'll find it. Right at the bottom of the DOS. Uh, are you talking about Gleberman's review or Denby's? I can't find it. There was this fucking review line that's like, it feels like a dream that's already been analyzed. Ooh, that is pretty By cute. your therapist. Yeah. You're not even watching a dream like state. I'll give it You're to you. You're watching someone. Yeah. It's from Gleberman. Thank you our cohort in the New York Film Critics Circle, and I shall say no more. Brother in arms. Uh, I've always been an ardent Kubrick fanatic, but Eyes Wide Shut, a movie that views sexuality as not just an experience, but a ritual, has an oddly formal closed-off quality, like a dream that has already been analyzed on a shrink's couch. Yeah, I mean... And and yet I I disagree so fundamentally with that because I found in returning this movie on virtually a daily basis... Or I disagree with Owen Kleberman. (laughs) I mean, no disrespect to Owen, no, but no, no, every day, you know, for the last uh, 23 years that this is a movie that I find so open and inviting, uh, you know, it's, yeah. it's such an invitation to project yourself onto oh. it, which is by design um, and goes back even to the casting of the movie. We'll get into that. but, but Absolutely. But I, I think to uh, uh, other David's point, we got two Davids on the show today. Oh. Um, uh, not, to, not to front load the material here. Uh, I, I, I don't view that as a negative quality, but I think when David's talking about like how odd the delivery is in this film, mm. the visual look of this film that's so unlike anything where you're like, what is the weirdness hanging over this movie? It is that thing where like, it doesn't quite feel like a dream. It feels like an analytical exploration of yeah, a dream. I mean, the whole movie exists in that liminal space between dreaming and reality, you know, right. by design. It's not mm. supposed to feel too much like either at any point. Right. And the performances right. are very keyed into that. Whether or not, 
you know, Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise knew at the time that's what they were going for. Okay. It feels uh, like describing a dream to someone. Before we yeah. do anything. Yes. One. We have to fuck. We do have to fuck. <laughs> we, should. we should. How many years in? Come on. Eight. Almost eight. Let's just do it. Um, the wall they want the attention has been driving people up the I'll wall. I'll fucking do it. Ben and I are sitting on the other ends of the table just staring at each other between like, this. Yeah. Like, Help. Put on the Jocelyn Poop. And you know what go. you guys need to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm the peeper, so I'm Yeah, you just watch. Yeah, oh, just sure, watching. yeah. We got a closet. We're wearing our yeah. masks. Only one uh, awards body dared have the bravery to give Sidney Pollack a supporting actor nomination. The Hollywood Film Critics Association. No. Hmm. Only one. Pollack hmm. gets one total... I mean, obviously, this film was not, yeah. like, lauded and did not get a yeah. ton of critical or whatever nominations, but... But that's the thing that should have happened. Near Film Critics? The Blockbuster Entertainment wow. Awards nominated Sidney Pollack for Favorite Supporting Actor, Drama Slash Romance. He lost to Dennis Leary for The Thomas Crown Affair. An underrated performance. I mean, sure, no argument there. Just like romance. Three well. nominees. Yeah. Leary, Pollock, and Paul Newman for Message in a Bottle. Can't well, say I remembered thing. he was right. in that one. They did so many genres. They did. Right. But nonetheless. Nonetheless. Pollock. No. Got a block. Do you think he got a phone call from his agent? Sydney, uh, I know you're hard at work on The Interpreter or Random Hearts or sure. whatever. But. I've been watching a lot of uh, Inside the Actor Studio recently. I've brought this up on other episodes. Yes. It's been like a go-to-sleep uh, YouTube uh, rabbit hole of mine. Um, Lipton, when he does his introductions, because the first couple of years of the show, it's mostly people who are in the actor studio. Right. And sure. then the pedigree is high enough, the clout is big enough that he can get the biggest movie stars in the world. Right. So when he has someone like Cruz on, he lists like all their accolades and he will say, Mission Impossible 2, for which he received a fifth Blockbuster entertainment <laughs> nominee. Like, he does information all. that Cruz is learning for the first time. So many of these, he always fucking mentions their MTV Movie Awards, their Blockbusters, and sometimes even their Nickelodeon Kids' Choice Awards. Mm. Like, if someone like Cruz has like two nominations, three nominations, but he wants to pad it out to put him on the level of Paul Newman. What's the um, statue for the Nickelodeon Awards? It was a blimp. Hell yeah. It was a blimp. I believe the blockbuster was sort of like blimp. a big clear yeah, sort of like Perspex, you know, right. videotape, wasn't it? Oh, yes. Let's yes, see. Yes, you're right. I, I should get one. I want one. Nickelodeon I, was the I blimp and it was a, it was a um, kaleidoscope. That was the thing. When people went and accepted it, they'd always hold up to their eye and go, whoa. And I'd be like, what the fuck is inside there? And the answer is it was just a kaleidoscope built into a blimp, like a fiberglass blimp. Feels like something you could like buy on eBay I mean, for a hundred bucks. We're yeah. a studio right? yeah. that that desperately needs to be decorated. But what a, what a space! Uh, I mean, this is we're my making a lot of progress. We're making a lot of progress. It's my a first lot, time here. I, I do want to say the first blank time I was studios. on this podcast, the unnamed blank check studio. Yeah, we need yeah. A name. first time I, I was on this podcast. We recorded it in like a, a sock drawer. We recorded like, it in a little space was there. that maybe yeah. covered this table we are sitting on. A closeted yes. at the now <laughs> defunct UCB office. And now we are sitting in a building made out of marble. The, not the whole no, building is made out of marble, but there are parts of it. Yes. It's, I it's took an nice, elevator. You sure did? Yeah. Don't give I'm it all I'm sitting away. in a chair where Richard Lawson himself once sat. The seat is still warm. Mm. He hasn't sat in this Lawson, chair yet. Wow. Lawson. He's Lawson. not done Lawson. warm this studio. Yeah. No. Wait, you, are, you, are this first, you are our first in studio. You're our first in studio guest, wow. right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because we've Because you're the first person I texted to say like, hey, you know, take yeah. the elevator, blah, yeah. floor. You know, yeah, like. so you're you're christening this seat guest-wise. I'm breaking it in. All right. Yeah. We wow. should put it tape on it. It does have that new podcast studio. Yeah, we smell. It does. It does. And we got we got a couple things. We got a The Movie shirt. Yeah, that's uh, Chris White. Chris White. Uh, Wilson, created, the volleyball uh, from Wilson, Castaway. Wilson, the volleyball. 
Uh, we, we got are, a Hello Fennel embroidery there. We, we got Ben a, Hosley. We got we, King Ralph on VHS. We have the envelope. The Griffin will make a joke about Beta. We sure do. That's up there. This We've is got this little collection. Yeah. Yeah. Just oh, a lot got of one of my Red Boys. Remember the Red Boys? Yeah, of Red Boys. Of and some Legos and the Wreck It Ralph uh, arcade. The um, what's his F- Fix It Felix? Fix it Felix. There you yeah. Go. Ah, nothing like uh, describing something visually. Ah, people can't we'll see post pictures. We'll post pictures. People will love it. I've been trying to one-up the, the envelope bit, not in this podcast, but in yeah. real life. In life, impossible. And, and the only way I think I could potentially do it is I, when I learned that a friend of mine is having a child, uh, I wrote the name of the child to our other friends on a text message thread. And I'm waiting until a few weeks from now oh, wow. to finally find out. I'm very confident. Wow. But we'll see. That's cool. We'll see. I mean, Calling it. Yeah, cool. I should mention this is a, a blank check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. I'm David podcast about filmographies directors who have massive success early on david's like miming jabs <laughs> i'm like john Holt. judo i'm like doing karate <laughs> yeah he's or so Elvis proud of how quickly he did it <laughs> yeah uh podcast about filmographies directors who have massive success early on in their careers like being arguably the most acclaimed revered studied analyzed american director of all time uh mm. and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want and sometimes those checks clear and sometimes they bounce after their premature death, people are befuddled by the movie, and then like 20 years later, basic consensus comes around to it being a masterpiece. Yeah, well, I'm, I we're would trying. say, by and large. I feel like 10 years ago, it was, it, oh, it was there like, are, you know what secretly is kind yes, of the best? Yes. Eyes Wide Shut. Right, and now I feel like it's almost widely accepted as like, oh, why, no, Eyes Wide Shut rules. Yeah, I don't think it was ever like quite bona fide film maudit status, you know, where it was like this really cursed thing. I think it was sure. befuddling was ex- exactly the word for it. But I, yeah, it's definitely quickly sort of after the first wave of critical, you know, machinations went through and people sort of right. got it out of their system and were able to reckon with what the movie actually is and not what it was sort of mythologically meant to be in their minds. It, it, uh, yes. I think its reputation has gone way up. And then, uh, yeah, now you see it topping uh, lists of the best films of the night. You know, it is... The first, and no disrespect to John Carpenter's Vampires or Indiana Jones, The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, mm-hmm. but of the various movies I have been on this podcast to talk about, this is the only one that is on my sight and sound list of the 10 greatest films ever. Crashing you put Tiger. It on, you put it on your sight and sound? Not on the 10 Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There are actually, it. and I think there are like two other films that this podcast has covered that were on my Are you willing 10. to say? Uh, Can we guess? No, no. What's the fun in that? It, okay. One of them's Pinocchio. Um, mm-hmm. And the Zemeckis, other one, the other one, to be we can, clear, yes, you had to call up in a fury, <laughs> run to the doors of Sight and Sound, knock. I need to make a change. I, I bought a transatlantic flight just so right. I could go and knock on the door myself. Who thought that, in arguably the greatest film of all time, would be released on Disney Plus one week after submitting your ballot? You couldn't have known. <laughs> I should have waited. It was really. Uh, I, we all should have seen it coming. The writing was on the wall. But. Yeah, I thought about putting this on my Sight and Sound ballot, but I did not. This, I expect that this is a movie that will make a, a imprint on this year's list. Like, it feels like this is the it first might, time the movie's reputation has crested enough to... Yeah, it was... I mean, certainly a few people, both filmmakers and critics, had cited it 10 years ago. But, but I do think it's going to be a lot higher. Be like, yeah. That's interesting that they put that on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. My experience with this movie is just that... Uh, and we can get like the details of it for us all later, but I think that... You know, there are, I, I really have no time for the best versus favorites dichotomy. Yeah. This is not how art works to me. If something is your favorite, is thereby, we're talking about a subjective uh, art form here. It is uh, therefore the best. But I do think there is a discrepancy between 
the best films, like the films that you would recognize as great, yeah. and the ones that sort of become like focal points on the horizon for you over the course of your life that you can sort of measure where you are in time based on your distance from them and what they reveal about you and you return to for unknown reasons time after time after time. And this is definitely one of those for me. It's like this... Forgetting Sarah Marshall. <laughs> yes. Titanic. Did you put Forgetting Sarah Marshall on your ten? I certainly thought you were about close. it, but I chickened out. Part of your wedding vows. Yeah, it was you, in the wedding. It didn't make the wedding. It didn't make the top ten. Yeah. Can I reveal anything from about your list? Uh, sure, I mean, I don't really care. You, you put Titanic <laughs> on it, right? I sure did. Cool. Yeah, yeah. One director put Eyes Wide Shut on their 2012 ballot. Mm. Mia Hudson Love. Oh, oh, of course. oh. And did any yeah. critics put it? Or critics, none of whom I know. Okay. But, um, just a Love just that. a flutter of interest, right? But I'm sure that will I, rise. I think it will have a lot more mention. We should say miniseries on the film Stanley Kubrick. It's called Pods Wide Cast. We finally got into the titular movie and his final film. His final film, due to death. Yes, um, the greatest career killer, the ultimate cancellation. It really, it really will set you set you down. You know that. You know, it's really hard to get a project together. After okay, but if death. death's so canceled, then why are we still talking about him then? Hmm? That, I mean, well, also Orson Welles, you know, put out a movie after he died. So I'm waiting on you. Stanley. Well, Stanley did put a movie out after he died. He just couldn't get another one. That's true. Greenlit. That's true. Yeah, but and that's he been tried. a struggle. We did. We, we did get AI, which is <laughs> we sort of a yeah, happy medium. I was thinking about this recently. If I told uh, Spielberg that AI is maybe my favorite Spielberg movie, would he be offended in that kind of way of like? That's half Stanley's movie. I don't think so. I also don't think... I think he would be more offended by you calling it half Stanley's movie. Well, I, think, I wouldn't say... I just wonder if he would say, like, you know, I was sort of I, doing I that think, for Stanley. I think know. he'd be happy, especially because it was so... Right. It, it was, had a very similar reaction to this when I it came out. In the early 90s, when he was so fucking fed up of Stanley Kubrick, faxing him and faxing him and faxing him. He would text him, but he would just text him, you know, <laughs> yeah. 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 He, he was yeah. like, you know what? I don't need this in my life. And uh, he moved on from Stanley Kubrick. Our, our guest today is David Ehrlich, of course, from IndieWire, fighting in the war room and our Crouching Tiger uh, episodes. What were the... I'm sorry. We were I'm just... Read, I'll the run Crystal Skull. No, no, no. A bunch. The Village. The Village. Which is where you... Was, that was in the UCB. The Village. Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Yeah. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yeah. Howl, Moving Castle. Yes. Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Yeah. And Vampires. John Carpenter's. So now you've got... Seven. Seven appearances. A gentleman, seven. Well, plus plus a Patreon. Seven, yeah. yeah, you were on Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. You were... Sure was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good movie. <laughs> um, yeah, it was back no in... No memory the, of that. Wow. Back in Halsey nice. Street. Oh, Spielberg's going to be offended to hear that. Uh, you can now say where you used to live. Yeah, I lived on Halsey Street. Yeah. Oh, shit. I mean, it's a long-ass street. Um, the, uh, yeah, no, uh, all lovely memories. This is... This is, as I guess we've already sort of recounted, talking about sight and sound, I think my favorite of the films that I've been on to cover. This is this is my favorite of his movies. I said that going into this miniseries. Barry Lyndon was the biggest outlier I hadn't seen. Seeing Barry Lyndon for the first time in theaters, I was like, fuck, run for its money, tough. Rewatching this last night, I was like, I, I just think this thing has a hold on me that that uh, yeah. is rare. I'm obsessed with this movie. Yeah. And I have been for a very long time. And I've often also said, it's either this or Barry. Yeah. We'll do our, we're going to do our list. We'll do our list. You and we'll forget Darkman. No, do Great. What if, what if to yeah, we'll correct the Raimi mistake? We'll put Darkman on here. Let's put Darkman in. Okay, let's it'll rank. be sort of around number nine. <laughs> Dark, yeah. Darkman's yeah. like, I have to go against 2001. <laughs> yeah. yeah, fuck you, Darkman. <laughs> Darkman is better than Fear and Desire. And he can feel good about that. I think Darkman can take Fear and Desire and Lolita and probably Killer's Kiss. Uh, yeah, I put him and above you know those what? three. I think I put him over Spartacus. Maybe I do not. I I would. That's my. I would taste. watch them fight. I that would, would be absolutely fun. watch them. And fight. then Darkman could put on Spartacus's face and say, "I'm Spartacus," and you kind of like, would well, be. Hard to argue. Yeah, right. Yeah. 
And then the winner has to take on Arnold Vosloo. Oh, that'd be cool, too. They should have done... Uh, uh, and Durant. Spartacus, the return of Durant. I switched out the return of Durant. <laughs> what if Universal started pipe, pumping out? Because they obviously... The, the Universal Home Video Department is the one that really is holding the torch for, like, the Jarhead sequels, the Rob Zombie Munsters movie, the recently announced R.I.P.D. 2. Hell Yeah. 47 Ronin 2. Like, every forgotten movie they turned into a franchise. If they went full Disney Plus on the Eyes Wide Shut extended universe. Well, I was going to say Spartacus. It would be funny if they today announced, like, Spartacus 2 uh, Ring of Fire. I mean, there was there was a very successful Spartacus TV show. I'm not talking about that. No. I'm saying this is the it's, proper it's, direct-to-video yeah. sequel to Stanley Kubrick's Spartacus recast all roles. I'm just saying, if Disney Plus dropped tomorrow just a title card that said Nightingale, I would fucking lose my pants. Yeah. Lose my pants. <laughs> lose my mind. Shit my pants. Um, I would definitely lose my pants. No, but I mean, like, an, <laughs> the hat trick. An eyes, I like the brazenness of an Eyes Wide Shut sequel. Like, Eyes Wide Shut 2, like, you know, the mask guy in red. Or they should have put yeah. the fucking Fidelio party people in Space Jam A New Legacy. They, that's a huh, real. That's a, that's a layup. And they already had the render from the censored cut. They have those. They should have put the PS2. Okay, what if LeBron, yeah, he's like, he's like running through the algorithm. He's like, what's this place? And everyone's fucking it. He's like, I got get out of here <laughs> like fake censorship like jimmy kimmel style yes. but funny but like right. you know just uh like fake silhouettes in front of yeah. completely anodyne things yes <laughs> like lebron's going through that like who's, who's singing backwards here this is I, weird i was watching this on itunes and it just was Stanley Kubrick intended. It, fucking, it was the R-rated CGI. Oh, it had cut. the body. Because sure. for the last 15 years or so, the unrated cut is pretty much what exists in circulation. So then I was like, fuck, it's on Netflix. Is there any chance Netflix has the nastier cut? And they did. They do. The the Netflix it's wild. Netflix has the unrated cut. It's wild that Apple doesn't. Uh yeah, it is wild that Apple doesn't. I I'm Shocked by that, actually. Yeah, I'm sure until I mean, until Leon Vitali died earlier this year. I mean, you could have gotten a very detailed answer as to why that why? is. Yeah, right. But, yeah, I'm, I'm actually now wondering if I've ever seen. It's really just that there's just kind of like robed figures standing in front of the action, right? The, a lot well, of the time. The first time they introduce it. Oh, and there's some naked ladies. That's, that's the one. Funny. That's the yeah. one where I think I had not seen this version before. Uh, just famously, this movie when it was Kubrick died. Delivered yeah, the final I mean, cut. We'll get into all of it. Sure. But, he, yeah, yeah. Uh, contractually, he had to deliver the movie in R. And they right. submitted to the MPA his cut, and they were like, there's too much on screen sex acts. Right. Here are the things you need to cover up. So rather than cutting it, they just put they people digitally place mostly robed figures. Yeah. The naked no, ladies are the ones ladies, where you're like, yeah. that looks fake. That looks weird. The, the robed figures are kind of seamless. But you yeah. are like compositionally, that's weird. I don't think he would have framed that. No, he probably way. would not have appreciated any of that. Yeah. Right? Although some people have said, like, well, we can talk about it, but there's some speculation that he was planning for because there were these digital renders of the bodies, right? Right, right. that he knew that was that something was he might have whip to up a digital right. render of a body in no time. Uh, yeah. 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 Kubrick's got those lines Controlled around. C. I don't know. That actually means something else. You saw this film in theaters. July 16th, 1999. You know, I knew that about you. I, I tend to leave with it. It was my uh, <laughs> my, uh, my my dating profile back in the time. Your bar mitzvah it, Oh, yeah. sure. I mean, um, it was the theme of your party, right? It, yeah. it was. I was actually, it was several years before this movie came out, but I knew. Sure. I, knew. You know. I knew that Kubrick had been thinking about making it for almost 50 years. Yeah. And so I figured it was going to come out one day. And you've been thinking about becoming a man for almost 13 years. <laughs> yeah, I still am. Yeah. Um, but the, you know, we were talking about the movies that, sort of orient you in time. And this is something I think about when I listen to this podcast a lot because Griffin has this sort of like eidetic memory of 
of, you know, not just the box offices, but where he saw things and whatnot. And my memory is spotty, okay, but it can it's be... It's not a competition. Clear. Well, not about the box office, but where I saw things. Yeah, I'm yes. good at that. But yeah. it's like, I don't remember... I'm not good at the box office. I don't remember, like, when I became X and Y part of myself when these things happened in my life. Sure. But I, I, I remember that when Eyes Wide Shut came out, it was important enough to me. I was at a certain point in my interest in film that I took the risk to go to my parents and be like, Listen, this is opening the Majestic on Friday. That's the place where the movie Nazi works. He will boot my ass out. He's done it before. Uh, this is too important to me. No Kubrick for you. is dead. Uh, and I was like, I, I know this is going to be uncomfortable for everybody, but you guys have to take me to see this. And sure enough, they did. I sat between them. The Majestic Crazy that in you sat Stanford. between them. Sure. You know what? I just thought that I would further ensconce myself away from the movie Nazi's flashlight. Uh, and also wanted to hold each of their hands and well, squeeze you were, them tightly. No, um, it's no, not raining. You were allowed with a parent, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I just, uh, but he would look for people, for teens mm -hmm. who didn't seem to have chaperones. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, God, and he would be like, like interrogated a bit more. This guy sucks. I mean, he called them the movie Nazi for a reason. It's what yeah. it said on his regal name tag. Um, and he, uh, yeah, and so I, I did it, and uh, we had all sorts of fun conversations the way home. It was worth it. But did they like the movie? I think they were uh, to go back to the familiar word we've established: befuddled. Yeah, uh, I, I'm sure it was as well. Um, I have some very embarrassing flashbulb memories of like what I was thinking in certain scenes. Sure, uh, I think it was the first time since puberty that I had like seen a woman pee. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, it didn't, you know, manifest in any sort of fetish or anything. I was just remember being struck by that in the, because uh, sure. it's not, and we'll talk about this, it's not a particularly raunchy movie. No, um, it's not one of the erotic things that film. kind of yeah. doomed this film upon release. Sure. But uh, it was, it was certainly something I didn't regret was forcing my parents to take me to see this. Uh, and we all had a grand old time. I assume you did not see this in theaters. I did not. I, you I remember. Been like 11. I was 10. You know, even with movies that I knew, no-go, my parents aren't going to take me to this, or I'm not specifically interested in seeing this. Whenever my parents went out for a movie night and came back, I was like, tell me everything. Right, give me the report. I want, I want the right. report. I want to know like where it? the stands. Well, yeah, I want to know what the consensus right. is. I want to be able to talk about good? this with Why adults. Why is it bad? Yep. Right. And I just remember them being like, it's like a mess. It's embarrassing. It was just this Which total... kind of the take at right. the time. Right. They were just kind of like, doesn't work at all. Which I, I remember them having a very similar take on AI, but the difference was I had seen that movie all before them and was like, you're wrong. Right. It was the first time I was able to sort of push back on something like that. But so I, I just, most of the adults in my life were that sort of befuddled and dismissive and like, well, it's a shame. It's a shame that's his last movie. Sure. What a mess. Made a mistake casting Tom Cruise. Didn't see it until probably about seven years ago. Okay. I got to see it for the first time in a theater. Oh, cool. Uh, with with the uh, the unrated cut, the non-CGI body it's cut. It's become a perennial here in New York, at least. Well, because they showed at Christmas a lot. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It was seven, maybe even a little bit more than that. And I've watched it a couple times since then. But it was one of those things, I feel like when I saw it, the tide was starting to turn on it. Mm. But it was like, oh, some people stand up for this. I don't know how I'll th feel about this. And I saw it in the first like 30, 40 minutes. I was like, okay, I get it, it's interesting, but it's obviously not at the level of the best Kubrick movies. And by the end of it, I was like, this thing fucking rules. It's his best film. Everyone who dislikes this was dumb. Ben. Did you see it in theaters? No. Had you I seen it before? I had okay. seen it before, but uh, I saw it so like late in life. I kind of like wrote right. it off because of the reputation. I wrote it off for so long. Yeah. And not only that, when uh, I met someone who liked it, I'd be like, eyes wide shut. Weird take. 
Yeah, and I was like, I haven't fucking seen it. Shut up, Griffin. But some girl I was dating convinced me mm. to watch. Hell yeah. And I was like, wait. Yeah. Isn't this movie freaky? Wait, this movie is full of dang-ass freaks. Yeah. What the fuck? But I love it. You want to watch that crazy movie with me? That's what you were like. Yeah. The yeah. one with all the Shostakovich? That's I wild. I didn't see this film in theaters. Mm -hmm. Roast me now because I lived in the United Kingdom. I'm sorry. Great Britain and Northern Ireland. What? And it was rated. They're united? They sure are for who knows how much longer. Yeah. Uh, and it was rated 18. Mm. So I couldn't go even with an adult chaperone. Sure. You, you had, had no to choice. be 18. It was I had illegal. no choice. And I do remember my parents seeing it and having, I think, a fairly similar. My mom was very down on Cruz and Kidman, generally. Sure. My dad may have been more neutral, but my mom was just sort of like, those are not serious actors. Big those thing. aren't movie stars. She loved like Jerry Maguire, but she yeah. was just like, get out of here. Big with thing with my parents yeah. too. I think Jerry Maguire was the only thing they liked him in. And, and I mean, the most specific takeaway I remember from them was just like, he made a mistake casting them. Right. They're right. out of their league. The movies, they can't handle this. They're lightweight. It's a problem from minute one because right. of them. Have you guys talked about how Kubrick basically did a reverse Sims in the trajectory of his life? moving from New York to London. I know you weren't born in London, but moving from New York to London and then literally never leaving. And also being terrified to get on a plane. I mean, he did not come. I think the last time he was in the United States was he at the like premiere planes. of 2001. Yeah. yeah. He, the man didn't like planes. It, it is crazy for what a notorious, you know, a control freak, uh, obsessive about every detail of his film was like, you guys go shoot second unit establishing well, shots in New York City without me. Yeah, I, I, I cannot be bothered I mean, to get on a plane. I, I, we don't, I, I wonder like how much into the weeds to get, but there's two things that are interesting to me about that. Uh, one is that one of the few things that he was still tinkering with that we know for sure at the time of his death was some establishing shots, yeah. some second unit shots, which ones he wanted to use of like Ziegler's house and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, and the other was that Leon Vitale, who became the you know, yeah, right -hand man, we talked about Barry Lyndon, I'm yeah, sure, yeah. Um, you know, plays the, the red cloak here. Um, his first big job was to go to America and yeah. look for kids to play Danny Torrance um, for The Shining. So yeah. like, yeah, it, it, it's interesting the way that he thinks about New York, remembers New York. We'll talk about that in the vision of New York in this movie, but it's so predicated on him in the way that the city lives on in his memory, but not in the present tense. Yeah. I just want to say, I had like friends, I think I had a friend who saw it when it came out on video. Uh-huh. Because it was like, well, doesn't that movie have like an orgy in it? And yeah. I remember him being like, I, you know, we're talking about like 14 year old. It was boring. I, I couldn't really, and so I never went to it as a teen because right. I was like, I heard it's not even, like, sexy. I would have those friends growing up because my mother was so overprotective about what I'd watch. And there'd always be the kid at school whose parents let them watch anything. And there'd be the kid that who, That kid's like, the coolest. Yeah. I was about to say that kid was me, but I was not the coolest. But sometimes there'd be the kid who got to see a serious-minded art house, mm -hmm. you know, auteur film just because they loved R-rated movies. Right. And everyone else was just like, how are the boobs? And I'd be like, is it well made? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And Eyes Wide Shut felt like one of those movies where even the kids who could get away with seeing R-rated movies like, and would know, see man. everyone to flaunt it. <laughs> it's like a married couple arguing. Right. <laughs> would just be like, I don't know. The boobs are kind of sad. <laughs> yeah, right. I felt weird. And so I didn't see this movie until college. I rented it uh, and I watched it on my eight inch square CRT mm. computer that I had by my bed. A Stanley intended. As Stanley intended. Yeah. And I was like, it really did kind of feel like a secret dream movie. Yeah. Like that's, it was, it was, even though it's maybe not the best way to watch that movie. That, it was very special to me. As just like, I just watched this like secret movie about like a secret world. It, they are, so, it, some of my best 
uh, first time movie watching experiences were my like, yeah, like tiny eight inch by eight inch TV VCR combo I had in my bedroom and watching certain movies late at night when I should have been sleeping. I saw Schindler's List for the first time when I was working at a wood shop at camp over the summer yeah. on like a 13 inch TV with the VHR built in. Yeah. Uh, the VCR built in. Yeah. And uh, over the course of like three days as like younger kids, I was like 12, were yeah. uh, making wooden cars in the background and I was not paying attention. They were like using buzz saws and stuff. I watched The Godfather <laughs> on a porch. Well, well, yes, course. of course. I mean, we know this. Iconic moment in American history. Right. We all learned about that. Any school. serious film was watched on a porch. <laughs> um, no, but that feeling of like, I'm, I'm like five inches away from the screen because it's too small. I can't see it otherwise. Yeah, totally. And with me right. also, it was like, the volume has to be low enough that my parents, if they mm-hmm. get up to get a glass of water, won't hear that I'm awake. I had headphones like this like, that I'm wearing right now. I would now. do headphones And I would plug too. them in yeah. Yeah, to the yeah. front of the TV. Yeah. Isn't that a weird thing to think about? Yeah. It's all, like, I watched so much stuff on that tiny TV that I bought at Argos. Shout out Argos. Nobody knows. Argos, fuck yourself. Um, yeah, Argos, fuck <laughs> yourself. Um, that was a great little thing. I wonder what happened to it. I think I gave it to my roommate. Argo, one best picture. It did. Yeah, yeah that little sure thing. Did. That is a great little thing. Let me give you some context and eyes wide shut. Please. After Full Metal Jacket, mm-hmm. one thing that Kubrick wants to make is this Holocaust novel, Wartime Lies, right? It was right. going to be called Aryan Papers. Which That's one of his sort of lost projects. Full Metal yes. Jacket comes out of him searching for the right Holocaust material. Um, it was a thing he was stewing on for 20 years how to make his Holocaust movie. And bumped never... him out, right? Stanley Kubrick stewing on something for 20 years? That doesn't sound like I know. That. But, like, supposedly the research for that movie was a depressing affair. Unsurprising. Mm. I don't really know much about that book. Like, I don't know what the hook of Wartime no. Lies is. Do you, either of you? No. No, but, I mean, he Obviously, is... Schindler's List kind of killed it, has always I, been. Yeah, that, that, that was yes, right. just right. like, there's not, not, this town's not big enough for two It's pictures. about Polish Jews who get Aryan papers and elude arrest, as, so they're trying to survive, I guess, yeah. they're, like, passing, you know, as... as but uh, but so Jews. often he was not picking obvious material right. to adapt. He'd respond to one specific thing that some, to other people is inscrutable. It. Right. And then it's like he goes through 20 different writers trying to see if anyone can crystallize the thing that jumped out to him. The other thing, obviously, is AI, which yeah. he continues to tinker away at. He continues uh, to throw it to screenwriters mm-hmm. and he keeps saying like Pinocchio, Pinocchio. And right. they're all like, ev- everyone is like, I don't want him to Everyone's Pinocchio. Like, Only Zemeckis <laughs> can get that right. right. Um, and he even, I mean, the, that's when he hooks up with Spielberg. The, he the sees short Jurassic story Park. writer, he was like, I want to take your this. story and right. combine it with Pinocchio. And he's like, don't fucking do Pinocchio. Yeah, right. Come on. I wasn't going for, I'm, if I'm Brian Aldis, I am probably yeah. pissed off where I'm like, just because he's a little boy doesn't mean he's Pinocchio. There also, but, we yeah. talked a lot about the history of different people trying to, or successfully make making the auteur obsession with Pinocchio, there were points in the AI process where he was like, maybe I should just fucking do Pinocchio instead. Like, he did toy with the idea of just doing straight Pinocchio at different points. Uh, yes. I think especially when the tech felt prohibitive. I'll never understand it. Um, I don't either. I mean, I, and I am I, I remember, like, celebrating the day that PTA's Pinocchio fell apart. It was announced it wasn't going to happen. I was just like, thank God, like, go on and make, you know, the master. Yeah, whatever the fuck I you're do. I, I would like to just see for experiment's sake, what would happen with him making a studio movie at that budget level one time? I want him to do it one time. I would love for that to happen as long as it's not a Pinocchio sure. story. Pinocchio is... Put him in the box. We don't need him. Right. Sand him down. Yeah, see, right. I wish he'd made Doolittle instead. Yeah, should have done that. But, but obviously, the things with AI are... He's knows that he's going to film for two years, so he can't cast a real child actor because the kid will grow and age too much. 
Yeah. So he wants to build a robot child. He's going to Spielberg being like, can you build a robot child? And Spielberg's like, right. probably he not. He sees <laughs> E.T. and he's like, you've cracked it. And he's like, E.T. has to look like a potato. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then he sees Jurassic no. Park and he's yeah. once again like, well, wait a second, CGI. And it's right. like, you know, Did so they, they talk like several months before Bicentennial Man came out and his dream Damn. was finally Well, realized. the Bicentennial Man actually killed him. That's in the notes here. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> to death. <laughs> Bicentennial Man activate I, I do murder mode. I mean, his eyes go red. This movie, knowing it's his final statement, I kept on thinking about things that Stanley didn't live to see. Oh, sure. Right. In like, like a good way. 9 11. He missed yeah, out on that thank one. Thank God. I mean, there, you know, there's the thing that people say with like certain actors who are not well cast in period pieces where it's like, that's a face that's seen an iPhone. You can't put yes, him in. Th- right, this right. is the shorthand that people yes. use today. Yes. I'm like so grateful that Kubrick never saw an iPhone. Never saw an iPhone. Never saw an iPhone. And he never saw the film Jobs during Ashton Kutcher, <laughs> which would have helped him understand the iPhone. He never Weirdly, knew you could have a thousand songs in your pocket. Yeah. He did see Steve Jobs. He did. Well, because yeah. he gave notes on that. That's yeah. why he asked Vitaly so to, can you give me a screen? <laughs> <laughs> it's not for a movie for that's years. coming out in 16 years? Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. I'll get Just it. do uh, it. Yeah. He, it is unclear when... Kubrick first read Trom Novell, a.k.a. Mm. Dream Story, the Arthur mm-hmm. Schnitzer novel. Uh, you know, Kirk Douglas claims he gave it to him mm-hmm. uh, during one of their, like, shared therapy sessions when they were so mad at each other making Paths of Glory or Spartacus. Therapy. Yeah. Um, there's other people. Some people thought maybe Ruth Sabaka, who is Kubrick's mm-hmm. second wife, who is Austrian, the yes. novel is Austrian. Maybe she gave it to him. Has anyone read Dream Story? I have not. Have you? Yes. Oh, fuck. I picked it in book club once. It's like, it's a slender tome. like 110 <laughs> oh, pages. And it is very similar to Eyes Wide Shut. Sure. To the point that when people are like, Stanley was trying to tell us about Jeffrey Epstein, I'm like, read Dream Story. It's the same. Like, yeah. You know, not Arthur Schnitzler was trying to tell us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Schnitzler was on the case a hundred years ago. You know, it's modernized. Of course, it's modernized, and of course, he is talking about like the weirdness of the upper crust of society. But so is Dream Story. But like the 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 plot of the movie is is very very much. But it's it's also how much it's modernized technologically and culturally in some Mm -hmm. ways. But it's also very pointedly set. No one in Dream Story wears UGGs. Right. I mean, uh, right. I mean, still shocked to my system to this day that one character. It's fucking crazy. And I wears UGGs. And he wears them inside. (laughs) He's wearing UGGs and and he's drinking a beer out of a high glass ball. It is so highball glass. Sorry. How obsessive Kubrick was about every detail. You know that he was like torturing himself about the UGGs, and he made a conscious choice. Yeah. He was like, the Uggs just stay. look comfortable. Uh, but, what if um, we found out that Stanley Kubrick developed Uggs? They were like, Uggs <laughs> came out of his obsessive <laughs> pursuit. It's like how we have nylon because of the space program or whatever. Right. It's like, he accidentally invented Uggs. I don't know what right. to tell you. He, he was trying to find the right shoe to find this character and accidentally... <laughs> Um, but you know, it, it is uh, a turn of the century novel, a fin de cycle yes, uh, yes. novel and a fin de cycle film. They both have you read Dream Story? I haven't, but they Cuck. both are, are set at the sort of the precipice of a new age mm-hmm. at the, the lip of a chasm that's it, sort of stretching mm-hmm. out below the characters. It feels like fundamentally kind of right that Kubrick didn't live to see the 21st century and that this is his final object, yeah. which is like. Really at that, but he precipice. never got to own a sidekick. But a text <laughs> he never friends. did. An engage. He would have loved the engage. <laughs> he would have fucking loved. God. He would have been a big believer. It's, he it's would have really been. He so, I really. I always have said that. Actually. So into the minions, <laughs> yes. he would have fucking flipped for the. He minions. would have been doing minions. The minions memes. are brilliant. He's like on the phone he, with uh, <laughs> Pierre Coffin. The thing is, he absolutely would have. Right. Like, always wanted to make a movie about minions. He would have been uh, typing Yogi Berra quotes and MS Paint over random minions images and acting like they had any correlation. 
posting into his Facebook group. You know how like there's just so many legends of Kubrick like calling out yeah. Brett Brooks and being like modern romance. You know, it's just funny to think about him doing that for like whatever Transformers. This is what 2, I'm saying know? though. Like, like I'm like if everything in culture becomes dumb in a way that is inescapable. Right. It's because uh, he left us. Right. I mean, culture got it's dumb because he, left because us, he wasn't also, watching over it. I, I mean, you mm. hear about him just having like eight hour phone calls and faxes and letters and all this shit. And you're like, I, I don't, I'm glad that Kubrick never texted anyone. You know, he didn't live to have David Zaslav tell him that his, the film he's been working on for you know 23 years is going direct to HBO right, Max. Right. Or, or that, which would have been pulled nice directly from HBO Max. <laughs> right. mm -hmm. I think he would have minded that a lot less. Yeah. In 1971, he mentions Trumnevel as a project he might work on, along with Napoleon. Yeah. Uh, so that's how long it took him, right, to actually make it. To your point about the, the book being very similar to the movie, it is fascinating for how long this movie was in the works in his mind. It was this thing he would go back to. He went through so many different writers. It felt like at different times he was trying to use it more as just a starting point for something different. Sure. And right. then ultimately we got back to a much closer yeah. adaptation. It's like you said, I mean, it's it's worth noting that the book is not, at least according to its title treatment, it's not uh, adapted from Schnitzler. It's inspired by. Right. And as you were saying, I mean, he pulls so many different pieces from from not just like Schnitzler's entire body of work, but yeah. like so many other you know things that he had recorded and jotted down and kept and like took little bits and pieces from over the years until it becomes this collage of ideas that he'd filtered through the the filter of the story. But it's also right. I think that had always collage. made me think that the, it was just loosely inspired by as a starting point. <laughs> Sims is leaning over into my face space and you know glowering his eyes. I haven't read the book, but I, I read the Wikipedia page for the book where they're wow. breaking down the differences between the book and the movie, and I was surprised by how much they were not superficial but like surface level yeah, elements yeah, yeah. little things and then there's things that he adds certainly sure but, but the motions of the story are pretty one-to-one -one, right like fucking you know the piano player you know uh the the whole thing with uh, the patient's yeah. uh, daughter trying to kiss him you know professing her love for him all, all you know the, the story beats are like the prostitute yeah. the, you know all that stuff tom cruise this is from tom cruise uh -huh. famed actor thomas cruise he's in the film says Absolutely. that says that Kubrick had told him that Christian Kubrick mm -hmm. had not wanted him to do it because they had just done Lolita. Oh, sure. And she said, please don't, not now. We're so young. Let's not go through this right now. Now that's Cruz relating a quote from Christian, but it is funny for her just thinking, don't, an don't orgy movie? No, come on, man. Like, can we just do something else? And like, he had said, yeah. you know, around the same time, this was going to be the hardest film for him to make. And it's funny that I'm sure he believed that until, you know, the day he died when he mm -hmm. finally finished making it. Uh, that, like, you know, even compared to uh, Full Metal Jacket or 2001 mm -hmm. or uh, a Bakov adaptation, like, this was, for him, the hardest movie he had to make. But you've already mentioned it, but that that famous story, if he, like, reached out to Albert Brooks after right. seeing Modern Romance and said, jealousy. like... Right, and he was like, how, how did, did you, you do, do this? This is this thing I've been trying to bottle, uh, this dynamic, this exploration of sexual tension, relationships between men and women. I can't figure out how to do this. And all the stories you hear about the development process for this movie over decades were him waffling back and forth between like, is this a comedy or a tragedy or is it somewhere in between? Right. And he often would defer to, like at different times, he wanted to make a Woody Allen version of this movie, Bill that Murray, Steve Martin. Adam Sandler. Steve Martin's a big one. But Woody Allen, right, that was the earliest uh, option, right? Who, like who a, said that he was never contacted by him. He only heard about it later. Correct. That Kubrick had wanted. He never told Alan himself. Steve Martin, I believe he like met with, had talked. They, with. they, they 
and they had conversations on basically there were how funny should this be. And this be, was before, right? you know, Kubrick had decided that he wanted to make the movie as non-Jewish as possible. Right. Uh, obviously. Right. But but Steve Martin, he was off of the jerk. Like mm-hmm. he had yeah. only well, made no, no, the jerk. Wait, well, let me okay, go I'm sorry, this. I'm no, sorry. No, it's fine. I'm it's fine. Um, I'm sorry. He asked Anthony Burgess to read the novella mm-hmm. at one point. He asked Diane Johnson, who co-wrote The Shining with him, to read it. He basically would show it to like every writer he met being like, you have a take. Terry Southern. Take. Right, he goes exactly. to her who's like, I just Neil got out Simon. a full metal jacket. It's taken me 12 years to recover from this. I uh, want to do another thing. Right, Neil Simon. Neil Simon, yeah. uh, Steve Martin, he loved The Jerk. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, he talked to Steve Martin about it. Uh, Terry Southern, uh, he told Terry Southern he wanted to do a sex comedy with a wild and somber streak running through it. And then he goes to Full Metal Jacket. He reaches out to John Le Carre, one of the great novelists. Yeah alive at that point he's not alive anymore rip and le carré said like i don't know how to figure this to, to update i don't know how to modernize this right like i don't know yeah. how to because he, he was very much like it should be contemporary right. not like set in uh 19th century vienna or whatever but uh the phrase eyes wide shut it may have been inspired from tinker taylor soldier spy hell yeah it's a fun fucking little bit of factoid can i, can I just step back to see martin for one second here the thing I find fascinating is by the time he makes this movie in the mid nineties, Steve Martin would be great for it. Yeah, yeah, great. For him hair, to Steve call Martin. that in seventy nine when his persona is just wild and crazy no, guy it's, doofus. Yeah. It's big, like casting Bill Murray and Lost in Translation energy. No, it it would have right. been it would have been cool. I mean, uh, God knows what the movie looks like. With I think Tom Cruise, it's is entirely different. Film. It's entirely different. It's very film. different. But yeah, we're talking like, like post post Father the Bride. Bride. He makes perfect sense. You see the version of this movie. Yeah, no, for and a sure. moment earlier, you're like, why would you cast him? What are you talking about? Um, I just love this idea that John Le Carre's note was like, why don't we set it in like a medieval walled city? And Kubrick was like. Um, but then finally he finds frederick Raphael. Mm -hmm. uh he meets him at a dinner party hosted by stanley donan that sounds fun cool uh he wrote darling uh he wrote he's like a veteran screener he has an oscar i think Mm -hmm. um he gave a bunch of drafts of the screenplay to him and, and he puts it this is Raphael's quote he does not want and never wanted a collaborator he wants a skilled mechanic who can crank out the dross he will turn into gold yeah. So I guess he just, like you say, he just wants someone who's like, well, here are the bricks of it. Like, here's how this can he work. like a contractor. Yeah. Yeah. He really didn't want it to be Jewish, as you say. Um, yeah, we'll get into that. I'm we'll sure. dig into it. That, yeah. 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 <laughs> what? I'm sorry, what? Well, in, in, the dream story is about a Jewish person. The, the okay. novella is about a Jewish person. Got it. And Kubrick wanted like, it to be upper crust wasps. Vaguely Jewish. It's it's no, yeah. like, the character is Jewish, but it's not, He's not like, to my oh, understanding. my bagels right. and schmear. <laughs> but, but, like, this scene. This orgy's got no white fish salad. I'm leaving. <laughs> I, I say this as someone who just read the Wikipedia page. Sure. But the, the scene in the movie where the bunch of, like, frat boys yell at him and throw a bunch of gay homophobic slurs at him. Yeah. In the book, there's a recurring thing with people yelling anti-Semitic shit right. at him on the yeah. street. Because yeah, it's, you know, it's a, it's a fraught time for the Jews. Man. Right. So it is when like, is it? it's part of the well, texture of the thing that there's this sense of otherness from him being Jewish. Got it. Okay. Um, but here This movie like, replaces it with a sense of emasculation. And, yeah, yeah, he's looking and, for like the most uh, um, sort of like waspy aspirational that's the thing. I feel it's like, right. Tom Cruise is playing a wasp who's handsome and who is a high-powered doctor, but he's still like He's not in that like further upper crust, and he's sort of glimpsing. He's like brushing yeah. against. They it, are right? um, yeah. sort of the platonic ideal of like the James Gray family in Armageddon Time, which is a movie that will be out by the time this podcast drops. Mm-hmm. But like very uh, aspirational in their but social those are status. Like lower middle class, of course. But he yeah. is like the like he has achieved he's, a success. He's, but he, he gets still, to go to that party, but he doesn't know anyone there. 
He's he's what every Jewish mother wants their son to be. Right, but he's not Jewish. But in this, but he goes from like, like his Tom status Jewish. is. Would that be good or bad for the Jews? And it's funny because not good, right? Kubrick was saying that he wanted like a Harrison Ford type goy right. in the role. Harrison Ford, not a goy, right. uh, but um, he wanted that type. But like, you know, the character of Bill Harford goes from high status at the babysitter to low status at the party to super high status, you know, for the, for the like portion of his night. And then the lowest that it's an interesting journey goes on, but he is not sort of he inside and outside. He exists in this liminal space like the whole film does. And I think while there's an element of like passing that being a white Jew can bring mm-hmm. to the table, I think he wanted it to be uh, less sort of barriers to entry for people. He wanted it to be more, uh, holistic idea of this this character, you know, being able to go into all these spaces without being othered. Harrison Ford's a quarter Jewish, right? Not too shabby. Not too shabby. Okay, hey, I was just trying to remember is, that. Is he a quarter or a half? Yeah, he, I mean, a quarter Adam Sandler, it's a quarter. Um, he has the thing where he has that quote where he's like, I've always, as a man, I've always felt Irish and as an actor, I've always felt Jewish where you're like, yeah. all right, Harrison. Wow. Um, but what does that uh, mean? I don't know. <laughs> Ding. <laughs> just flipping a coin. Okay. Comedy point. Um, Eyes Wide Shut. Warner Brothers co-chairman Terry Semmel says, mm. could you cast me a movie star, please? Right, there's the weird he quote. He says, you haven't done it since Nicholson and The Shining. It's like, well, he's made, made one, one fucking movie. movie. Right. Yeah. And also that movie, you know, does have Matthew Modine in it. It wasn't like a movie movie star, but he has a name. No, but you also, look, but yeah, but Matthew no. Modine is the biggest movie star I can think of just in terms of height. Very tall. Very tall. Very yeah. tall guy. Uh, skin, skinny. Tall, even tall just, skinny guy. Right, but even at this point, 1996, Hollywood is moving more and more in this direction where it's like, if you're going to do something weird, get one of the 10 bankable names. Yes. Uh, 100%. Alec Baldwin, Kim Basinger, and Bruce Willis to me more, both supposedly considered, we're talking about... Makes sense. ...hot couples of the 90s. Right. He, um, he seemed very into the idea of casting a real couple. Would have been like... Chris Pat, Pratt and Anna Faris today, I suppose. Well, not today. Not today. <laughs> that would be <laughs> interesting years ago. if they were in it. Why were the first couple coming to mind? Who would it be today? And Tom Holland and Zendaya. Wow. Wow. Well, they, we sort of already got this with that Netflix movie. Malcolm not, and Marie. But they're not who, together. I know. Oh, I guess. Washington's really real. good in Death of yeah. a Salesman. I mean, sorry, they, in The Piano Mal- Yeah. In uh, what? Not in Malcolm and Marie. Uh, isn't he in the I, I, someone was just telling me he's in a play on Broadway right now no, I was like he's in Amsterdam that's definitely not what you're talking about yeah, oh, he's, he's oh, in the piano okay. lesson on Broadway yes. and someone was telling me that he's the standout and I was like that I gotta see yeah. I'm interested in seeing but him be the standout has anything in hindsight made more sense than Tom Cruise dropping everything including his 20 million dollar payday to or salary at the time to be in this movie like the, it's can, incredible it's so clear to me now but it's, having yeah. seen the last 20 years of his life that he would drop anything yes. to be like, I need to do but this. Like, yes. He would this is... never do it now, which is so sad. Right. Like, Well, I'll say this. It's hard to even imagine the person that would hold that sway over him. Right. Right? I, I think it needs to be someone who he grew up revering, who felt unattainable to him, mm-hmm. especially for a guy who was already checking off so many major directors, but they were directors who were closer to being contemporaries. Yeah. Um, there is the cruise thing for so long it was like I'm fighting to be one of the great movie stars of all time right fighting to be serious but also it felt like the thing he was in competition with was I want to be talked about someday in the same tones as Paul Newman as whoever you know these great movie stars worked with great directors developed great projects whatever it is fascinating that like right after this movie uh, I mean, Magnolia obviously comes out the same year as sure this, is the thing he jumps to. But what like, his first movie Incredible year. after this properly Mission is Impossible 2. Mission Impossible 2. Right. And then it's like, Vanilla Sky's there, Last Samurai, 
collateral. Like, he, uh, Minority Report, War of the Worlds, he goes much more yeah. into blockbuster. Yeah, but he's still working with major filmmakers it's phase until two. he jumps the couch. I'd argue phase yeah. two is he's doing big but it's, it's genre big movies. Yeah. epics, yeah. 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 things that have more blockbuster appeal, but he's doing them with a-list tour director. This guy is very much like, can we do all that dream shit again? That was fun, but we're just with none of the effort. It's just fascinating. The Vanilla Sky is like the one outlier in that run because it does feel like post Eyes Wide Shut. He's like, I need to make movies that have a commercial right. hook. And then I he, can't do total art. The couch jumping thing was not long after that. It was 2005, right. if memory serves, you know, around yeah. there for Mission Impossible 3. And so that period that he had to really fuck around and the flexibility was not right. long lived. It's it's that that phase of, of 2000 to 2006. But I don't know if he was, like, I can't imagine him ever being happier than he was uh, during like a day on set acting opposite Sidney Pollack in a Stanley Kubrick movie. No, but it's also, it, it is, it is, fundamentally the most fascinating thing about this movie where it's like, here's this actor who is obsessed with being able to accomplish anything, right? Is just the most like, tell me what to do, sir. I can, I can fucking put my mind to it. I can get it done. Like right. prostrated himself in front of Kubrick. He was like, I right. am your tool. Use me. Right. And, and it's like, he's finally found the challenge he cannot beat, which is what Kubrick is trying to harness for this movie. This guy who is so desperately trying to be in control of the fucking situation. Mm -hmm. And Kubrick's process is so intangible that he's like, if you told me what to do, I could execute it. And, and if I don't know what we're searching for, and I don't even know what the movie is. And he's like, that's what I want. Right. I want you to do that. I mean, it's, he has the ultimate Hollywood extrovert playing yes. this implosive character who right. is just like blowing up on the inside. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's exactly the phenomenon that he's hoping to sort of to bottle up. And, you know, the irony to what you're saying is that he ends up giving, you know, one of uh, his greatest performances as a result of that. He does end up sort of mastering the challenge, just not on his terms. Yeah, yeah. It, it is that thing, too, where, you know, I, I, you hear all these stories that Cruz would be like, what do you want this character to be? And he was like, just you. I think you're right for the part. And Cruz was like, I'm nothing like this guy. I'm right. nothing like this right. guy. Sure. Don't say that. And I need to create a character. And he's like, no, I just think your face is right for this. And you have the right voice. You should just, like, act like you in these scenes. It's the exact thing you can say to Tom Cruise that will drive him insane. Yeah. That having been said, he, by all accounts, loved but working the on this He did. And he loved the challenge. Uh, very easy, right? It was incredibly easy. Fast. easy. Well, I'll, well, I'll read all this stuff. But yeah. um, he starts calling Sidney Pollack, a friend of his, because mm -hmm. uh, he had just made The Firm, a fucking yes. six-star masterpiece. Better than Eyes Wide Shut, but so oh, it's better yeah. than every film ever Pollock made. said they, they had... <laughs> <laughs> the Firm is one of those movies where you put it on, you're like, yeah, I know this is like not good, but like, is this the best movie I've ever seen? I have Tom Cruise on on speakerphone right now to yell at you for saying that. It's a great movie. It is um, Pollock and Kubrick had uh, a, a phone a phone friendship over years, and he said that Pollock he would sort of use as a sounding board right. to keep tabs on what was going on in Hollywood because he was so removed from all of that. Uh, so anytime he worked with actors, worked with different people, he'd ask them about him. And from the time he was working on the firm, he was very fascinated by Cruz. Um, right. He would ask thousands of questions. What's he like? What does he eat? What does he do? What does he dress like? Um, so I, and so Pollock's like, I really feel like I have convinced him to use Cruz because mm -hmm. Tom's a wonderful guy. And then he would go to Cruz and say, like, Huber's always calling me about you. You should work with him. Right. Uh, you know, and then Cruz, Cruz just always talks about it in every interview in this, like, very hallowed way where he's like, yeah you know, we were honored to work with him. We did whatever we wanted. We we do whatever we could to work with him. We knew it'd be difficult, but I would have kicked myself for not doing it. And Kipman has all that thing where she's like, it was a good time. Yeah. Like, like, it's so interesting because obviously they get divorced not long after. Mm -hmm. but they get, it's like two years later. 
And, and people wanted the narrative to be this movie broke right, they, their relationship. He, like, ripped their marriage open in front of them or whatever. Right. I mean, that's what I thought. Right. But, like, Kidman has very much been, like, we were all on set. We all lived together with the kids. Like, it was obviously took a long time, but we, like, it was a nice... I can, I'm going to find it's that It's like quote a kind of normalcy really for them. Actors at that level and the schedules and the traveling demanded upon them to be in I, the same place, to have their kid go to I mean, the other thing, obviously, you know, is, regularly. This yeah. is much more demanding of Cruz than Kidman. Not that it's not demanding of her, but he is all over the place. In every frame, she yeah. Is. And, and by all accounts, by the way, like, the I'm going clear the book covers this a lot but like right after this movie is when Scientology is like Cruz has kind of drifted away we have to get him back in that seems to be the main culprit that broke up their marriage was for the first whatever years of them being together he had sort of stepped away and Scientology really like lured him back in. Well, Scientology would never interfere in the lives of the people who are. No, of course uh, not. Scientology's just saying this as a friend. Like do you really think she's right for you? We loved is the Kidman quote. We loved working with him. We shot it for two years. We had two kids. We lived in a trailer on the lot. We made spaghetti because Stanley liked to eat with us. We were working with the greatest filmmaker, learning our lines and enjoying our lives. We would say, when's it going to end? You know, we thought it would be three months and it turned into a year and a half. But you go, as long as I surrender to what this is, I'm going to have a great time. Stanley wasn't torturous. He was maybe arduous, but, you know, he, like, they liked him or whatever. They, like, enjoyed him. And this is the best part. We are happily married through all of it. We'd go go-kart racing after scenes. We'd rent out a place and go renting at three in the morning. I don't know what else to say. Maybe I don't have the ability to go back, look back and dissect it, or I'm not willing to. So she's sort of like, look, maybe my marriage was crumbling, but I don't think of it that way. Right. Like, and I, and I believe her, you it know. It kind of feels like that was maybe the healthiest time in their relationship. It is that thing. I mean, we talked about it in the Full Metal Jacket episode. Gabrus made this point where it's like, if I got hired to be on a Stanley Kubrick movie for a year, I'd be thrilled that I had a year's employment. And I think it is that difference of like, are you, you know, some actors are control freaks who really want to have a complete understanding of the situation and the structure of what they're doing and get it done. But it's it's what she says of like, if you surrender yourself to the thing, it's like you now just have this ecosystem that you're existing in for like a year and a half. Yeah. That sounds kind of peaceful. If yeah. you're not Tom Cruise going like, what do you fucking need from me? You know, right. if you're like, my job is to show up every day and we try stuff and it works or it doesn't. If you're not frustrated by that process, it does sound pleasant. I mean, I would bet that their marriage, not that I'm super invested in this, but I would bet that their marriage was sort of in a place similar to the place that the Harford's marriage is in at the end of the movie where they've sort of gone through this trial together and survived. Yeah. And you've been like forever and like, I don't know about I forever, know. but let's go fuck. But the thing that is most frustrating about filmmaking is fighting against time. Mm. You know? I, right. I think and that's the one thing else, they had. Right. Yeah. Right. It's that feeling of, you know, are we, do we need to move on before we've gotten the thing coming up against the constraints? And everyone just says like the main thing he fought for was time and that he really, it, he tried to alleviate pressure from his actors as much as possible, as much as people want to believe in this sort of like taskmaster Kubrick thing that it was sort of like, this is all exploratory. I'll know it when I see it. There's no pressure on this. If you're not feeling it today, if you're not in the pocket today, it's fine. We'll just, Shoot it again tomorrow. I don't feel the need to get this scene done today. But the, the irony is that they were ultimately under the, sort of the ultimate clock. Uh, I mean, they didn't know it at the time, but right. they had a drop dead date quite literally. Yes. And, you know, there's this sort of this thing that I was wrestling with recently is like, was, was the notion of making Eyes Wide Shut keeping him alive 
or, you know, like was finishing it, you know, what he needed to sort of that kill him. There's so um, much stuff from like it's, his, you know, one way or the other family of of like, oh, at the end of filming, he seemed like he was dying. Like it was they talked, the yeah. first he was running time he started now. to age. Yeah. Vanessa Shaw has a very cute quote about how there was one very long-winded line that she couldn't get. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I'll give you a cue card. And she was like, I don't want to do that. You know, I, you know. And he gave her a little, he said, she says, he gave me a sneaky smile. And then I forgot the line again. And in the middle of the take, he just, he just <laughs> held up the cue card and, and she used it. And he was like, if you need it, don't be embarrassed. So like, it's like one of those things where it's like, it's so far from the, you know, yes. scary, exacting like, Stanley Kubrick myth. Don't come to set myth. tomorrow, but don't be embarrassed about <laughs> it. Just the idea of this little like bearded gremlin in a raincoat being like, here's your cue card. You well, know, it's Todd Field crazy. tells a story about when, when uh, he was happy with a take, he'd walk out from behind the camera and like give them a handshake and just like sort of Paul say like, Hollywood. thank you so much. Like, a yes, real, right. Yes. Know? That's yeah. He would, he would take you to the side, shake your hand and say, congratulations. Like you'd finished a long journey right. together. All the anecdotes from this sound like he was really appreciative of actors and mm-hmm. tried to use the clout he had to create a very safe space where let's they, take as long as it they needs. They were insulated right. from any of right. those. Right. Cause there it is that feeling of just like, oh, it's the big, it's the big scene and I have a fucking head cold. And we have to get it done today. Right. And who knows if they'll let us reshoot. And if we reshoot six months from now, is it going to be the same? We missed it. And it's like, it sounds kind of incredible to be able to a production like this feels like it was a it was a healthy uh stop on the synecdoche scale of sure. it starts to become right, its right. own universe its own world right i mean and like the only thing i can think of that ended up shooting for a more continuous a longer continuous period of time was like the dow project which was not on the healthy end of that right. scale so right. that is what ultimately eclipsed it right. but you, you know he didn't wasn't always as i'm sure you guys discussed in the shining episode uh, which hasn't come out yet when we're doing this is not wasn't always creating such a safe space no for his actors maybe no. didn't we always have you know, the time yeah yeah we but, talked about but it when you plenty. read about people talking about like shooting the orgy sequence here which would one would assume might be the most fraught with potential for yeah. uh, things to go awry or be uncomfortable apparently it was like the most pleasant time on set so. and and Kidman said you know he was describing to her you know I how he wanted to shoot the sort of fantasy sex sequence uh, that that's intercut her pieces throughout the movie and she felt uncomfortable doing full frontal nudity and he was like anytime you're naked I will give you full editing you approval right. yeah, you yeah. show the footage any footage you don't want out there is killed you tell me what's in it or not and she said like that was not a thing that anyone was offering at that point in time uh, right no right that's, that's in the 90s it's like shut up come on yeah. it's in your contract do what I tell right. you right Paul Verhoeven like tricking Sharon Stone to take her underwear off because uh, oh, it's reflecting the light it's, the, the light is bad <laughs> Um, the Todd Field thing that I really like is that he was like I was so freaked out because it was Tom Cruise and Kubrick and at a certain point he got better and Kubrick was like he got over it yeah and he was like yeah and then he made Tar well the the better story there is that he he did a take he nailed a take he goes over he shakes his hand he was like thank you so much and he's like yeah sorry it took a little while and Kubrick was like First couple of takes fucking stunk they were bad (laughs) yeah yeah why were they so bad but he was like you freaked out yeah. You know, so we know that uh, fucking Keitel was in this movie, obviously, and got in fired Pollard. in the city yes. Keitel was not apparently super enthused about uh, anything, uh, yeah. about how things were going. Uh, well, Kubrick was a genius. Uh, he did some things I objected to. I didn't like it. I thought they were disrespectful, and I won't be disrespected by him or anyone else. I mean, like, <laughs> all right, Harvey. <laughs> yeah, there, I, there are a million urban legends around what led to the firing. Well, because, like, there's this weird, like, thing, like, that he had, like, 
come he came on Kidman's leg, but then everyone's like, "Well, no, he didn't. That's right. not a thing." For like, so long, that was the story. Was he that insisted that he insisted on masturbating just... for real, and the ejaculate hit her leg? And, you're and it's like, like, in what scene? Like, what are you talking? No, look, about? they filmed this movie for a year and a half. Certainly, there are entire scenes that are not. Everyone's in the final ejaculate film. was getting on everyone's legs, but... right? But that was always the story. Like, Kaitel was such a method actor that he said he had to do this. That feels like it's bullshit. There's a thing that JJ put in the in the dossier that like. Uh, you know, he they need to build a new set. They want to keep Kaitel on hold and they weren't going to pay him for the hold. Right, right. I, mean, I think it's what's That's difficult probably... about working on a Kubrick film is he's essentially saying, I want you blacked out for these dates into eternity. Right. And Kaitel wouldn't surrender. He wouldn't surrender his right. body, wouldn't yeah. surrender his time. Right. You know. right. And, and like, you know, Kidman and Cruz are in a position where they're willing to surrender because they're like two of the biggest movie, movie stars, stars in the world. They have so much fucking money. They don't, they can take the break. They can remove themselves can, from the circuit yes. for a couple of years. If you're Kaitel and you're like, I could be doing fucking 12 movies this week. <laughs> Why do you want me to stay in a goddamn And we've talked about, unpaid? this is Holy Smoke era, Kaitel. He was he's fucking working. working. Um, and also he's like, it's an orgy and you don't want my, you <laughs> yeah. don't want the Colt 45? It's none of those pistols. <laughs> um, Jennifer, Jennifer Jason Lee's the other one, right? Who is that was literally when they went to reshoot it. She was like, I'm sorry, I have a bone gun. I'm in existence right, right. now. And so they read so she she was the woman who the the the, the daughter of the right. dead. Yeah. It's she, funny. Right. She just given her a bone gun and kept her. It's funny. She was like, You told me I was gonna be wrapped out in three months. It's like three months, she's in one scene. <laughs> and he was like, I'm sorry, it's gone from three months to six months. I need you to re-up. So I mean, I'd love to see her though in this movie. She'd probably be amazing. Yeah, it's scene. kind of she would. She would. It does. I really like the scene. Like, yeah, yeah. I really like uh, what Marie Richardson is that her yeah. name? Yeah, I, I, I think the scene would have played differently. I don't know if she could have done the watered eyes, mm. uh, you know, total vulnerability. I'm throwing myself at you, sort of act in quite the same way. But I also, I think it's to this movie's advantage that outside of Kaitel, uh, Kaitel, outside of Cruz and Kidman. Most of the actors are not really bringing previous baggage to the table. For sure. Even the actors who've had bigger I mean, careers after this. Right. It well, Rade, Serge Abiza, I don't know how to say his name. Do you know how to Serbeja? say his Mission Impossible too. Yeah. Well, but also he gets Batman a coat. Chimera. Or no, he yeah. gets a coat from Batman. Yes. Here he gives Cruz a coat. Yes. Later he gets a coat from My Batman. Right. Uh, well, I mean, a truly iconic performance. It's just about he anyone so fucking good in, movie is, yes. in this movie is. Um, Alan Cumming, you love yeah. to see him. I mean, yeah. I, yeah. I had been actively following the Orgy Masters acting career for several uh, years <laughs> yeah. before I went to check him out. I loved him in yeah. Little uh, so little Big League. Yes, great in that. So yeah, let's talk about the movie. So Eyes Wide Shut is about one crazy night in the <laughs> life of Dr. Bill Harford. Ben, by the way, we're not exaggerating. This movie started filming in 1996 and rap production in 1998. Yeah, it was, it was a... Fucking it had the record for the longest continuous shoot. And it still does, right? Or has it been so. beaten? Because it was... Certainly the record holder as long as I ever knew. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think Dow would technically beat it, but that is sort of not a, a like single narrative. Shit it feels like an ad. It doesn't count. Right? It doesn't count. Um, yeah. And I guess it's, it, at this point, it's just what you're saying. It's like, the man just won't work under the gun. He's just going to take as long as he needs on yeah. everything. Right. And so that's how it just gets so, so expansive, right? Because yeah. yeah. you watch Eyes Wide Shut and you're not like, I can see why this took two years. Like right. when you watch Apocalypse Now... And then you hear, like, that was, like, a really brutal shoot. You're like, sure. <laughs> yeah, sure. What, and I, insane. This movie ended up costing $60 million. It sounds like maybe $65 yeah. million. Dollars. Most of that was Christmas lights. 
Yeah, sure. <laughs> the rest was, you know. Most that was paying off the Illuminati. <laughs> I understand it's 1999, so it's like you just You own the rights to being the Illuminati. You can't just put us in movies. Ah, <laughs> oh, fine, fuck. What do you need? So write a check to the Illuminati. <laughs> yeah, right. I just remember at Make some... Bank of America. <laughs> at some pro- early point in the podcast, uh, Ben, when we were throwing out budget numbers, you were like, can you guys explain to me why movies are so fucking expensive? And we broke it down for you. That's like the thing that doesn't get accounted for very often is that you were essentially like starting a company. Right. The amount of employees you need in all positions. You've said a company. And another way that's been helpful is like describing even as like you essentially have like the budget of a country. Right. Right. And and you need. You're like founding a country. One of many similarities between Eyes Wide Shut and Blank Check. You need doctors. Like you need. You're, it is sort of like building a country. So it's one of those things where you're like, to, to essentially operate an independent sovereign nation for almost two years, $65 million is surprisingly low to me. Yeah. It was uh, expensive, though. Yes. You no, know. expensive. Yeah. And uh, but, they but had to build New York City. Across days. No, I know what you're saying. Pretty cheap movie saying. per day. I mean, he, I mean, he was very thrifty, not maybe as extremely as like a Clint Eastwood type, but he would have... Leona Vitale, who played yeah. you know, my favorite character, as I've mentioned, and we'll yes, mention again, the Orgy Master. Yes. Uh, he had him play like eight other characters yes. at the Orgy, just so they could save money on extras. Yeah. I mean, like that's the kind of penny pinching. And it also, made, in the Orgy, I feel like he especially, he used his guys because he was like, this is the most complicated thing. And it's, I want my guys. I want my guys. Well, also, he knew they fucked good. Yeah, he did. <laughs> um, so he, whew, whew, Stanley liked to orgy. The, the great anecdote is that, like, you know, Kubrick wasn't a guy who really wanted visitors on set. But Cruz snuck Paul Thomas Anderson on because they were meeting about Magnolia at that point, knowing that Magnolia was going to be what he did next. Right. And uh, introduced Kubrick to PTA and was like, this is incredible. You have like five crew members here. Like, is your crew always this small? How do you small? keep it this small? Right. How do you keep it this small? And Kubrick's response was like, how many people do you have on set? And PTA is like, I, I felt like such a Hollywood asshole right. immediately. Right. It, but it's amazing about, to think about like 27-year-old PTA being right. like, how do you only have five guys? And Kubrick is just like, hmm? what do you mean? But like when he gets to Phantom Thread, it, it feels like he sort of, yeah. as his career went on, tried to find a way to minimize, you know, mm. simplify in that way, even down to him being like, there isn't a DP, it's just me and a couple camera guys and whoever picks it up. Like, right. you know, the Masters, one of those things where it's like, they're all just on that boat for however many months. And Amy Adams was called to set and put in wardrobe even when she wasn't in the scene. Like, it feels like PTA sort of learned some lessons from being on this set that took years to seep in. The, the DP on this movie, he'd never been the cinematographer on a movie before. I mean, he'd done lighting work for Kubrick before. Right, but I can imagine this being about being like the room. Right? called him over to his place to uh, talk about visual concepts and went like, so I don't know, do you want to shoot it? Yeah, I mean, and he went on to make, you know... Fear X. <laughs> no, uh, let's he's, he's actually had an interesting career as a DP. He shot Marmaduke. <laughs> no, he's done. He does the uh, the John Michael McDonough movie. So he does okay. like the Guard and Calvary. Calvary and looks beautiful. We were talking about yeah, that the other day. and he did uh, Bronson. The he did a couple of yeah. movies. Yeah, Fear X being one of them. Only God forgives. He did. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's funny. Movies. Yeah. yeah. Uh, recently, he did that movie Dark Harvest that's coming out this year. Anyway. Uh, David Slade's new movie. Um, but anyway, so this movie starts with uh, uh, David Slade. He's trying to get production ready on 30 Days of Night. No. Uh, it's a weird <laughs> opening. Right. <laughs> right. And then we cut to Bill Harper. The sun can't yeah. come up at all. Uh, uh, it's it's Bill and Alice uh-huh. uh, going to a party. But first we see Alice dressing. Is that the first shot of the movie? The first shot's uh, her tush. Nicole Kidman's buttocks. That is, that is one of those 
it's one of those flourishes that is controversially maybe added after the fact of Kubrick's death. The the world's longest back, can I say oh that? Oh my god. She she looks about as tall as anyone has ever looked on screen in this movie. <laughs> it is disorienting when Cruz stands next to her. Because especially when she's like undressed and you're not seeing any she's a, like a, she is a tall woman. She's, she's no, like I know five she's a tall woman, yeah, but you yeah, look yeah. at like the way she's built and it, like, she looks like an NBA player. Whether whether it was Kubrick's idea or not to open the shot with that movie, you know, beyond just the instant sex appeal of it, yeah. I think it's it works so well because the first thing that we hear Bill say to his wife when the movie like starts proper is, you know, she's saying, like, you know, how do I look? And he's not looking at her. And he says, like, you look beautiful. Um, and yeah. it's, like, already he, that sort of... He's negging her hair. Like, we've, been, we've yeah. been sort of struck by the physical beauty. Mm -hmm. And yeah. he's, he's not even... And then we meet this man who's taking it for, for granted. Yeah. He is I, taking I, it I also think, look, it is important to mention just right off the bat, uh, as we start digging into the plot of this, this movie, per Kubrick's wishes, had, like, very limited, elusive marketing. Mm. The teaser was famously just sort of the moment of the two of them down, in the mirror down, together, down, naked. Down, down, did a bad ballet thing. thing. Yeah. And then it was just, like, Cruz, Kidman, Kidman Kubrick. Kubrick, eyes wide shut. So Pretty good shit. So effective. Everything oh about God. this movie was, like, fucking mysterious. I remember, like, just as a kid who would watch fucking Entertainment Tonight... They were breathlessly reporting on rumors about this film. Which they dropped is, the trailer at Comic-Con, right? That year, I, the, yeah, <laughs> but it truly was like talked about as if it was a Marvel trailer to be scrutinized. And there was all this rumor mongering of like, they're going to have full penetrative sex on screen. Yeah, right. The People are about, here, it's the craziest It's going to be the craziest happened. shit right. in the world. So even just opening with her fully naked feels like, here oh, we fucking oh, go. But it's, it's just... And then people, I think, are flummoxed the more this movie goes into this weird, austere, sad this world. This is like, you know, vintage Hollywood and something we still do today. We see it to a degree with Blonde. Yes. Um, you know, where, where you, you put... You won't believe how yeah. fucked up this thing. And you get people excited for the movie, but it fits it in a very particular prism. And then the actual movie ends up contraventing, you know, what they were yeah. trying to make. Um, you know, I don't have any great love for Blonde. Uh, quite the opposite. Oh, but, there, was, um, there was so much fascination with the two of them as a couple and how weird and secretive and protective they were that this idea of like, oh, we're going to see something really intimate. But how, you know, it's not like Amsterdam where, I mean, you can't, it's like, how did anyone fuck up the marketing for this movie so bad? Because it's such a clear story to tell. Yeah. You, how would you sell Eyes Wide Shut if not on the mystique? I mean, they it's sold like, oh, it you can't a, a, a guy who you like uh, is kind of uh, cucked, maybe. You, know. you can't. It just, it it sort of was a, a don't worry darling of its time where people were so fascinated by all the different stories about what was or wasn't happening on set. And especially because the director then died and couldn't put his foot in his mouth in the press, mm -hmm. not that he was ever going to do press for it, that, like, things like the Keitel ejaculating story, it just, like, became this yes. box of, like, what is in this movie? I, I just want to put a button on the side note that no one wanted in the first oh place, God. which is the reason that I bring up Amsterdam is because the reason they couldn't mark that movie is because the whole plot right, started. Be quiet. I don't care. And they didn't Shut want to up. include that. And so they were just like, we're just not going to tell anyone what the movie's about. It's a mess. I, I, I haven't seen Amsterdam. Yeah, well, you don't asshole. need to. You're going to bleep it up. But I was texting. No, no it'll come out by now. We just everyone will have seen. Me. Everyone and their grandma will know Amsterdam by heart by the time I saw it. I was texting with David and Marie, and they were like, what is the movie even about? And I explained the plot to them in three sentences, and they went, are you kidding? That is what the movie is about? It's a real life guys, situation where it's like they no one guys, could explain what no, it's about. Enough. Anyway. We're talking eyes wide shut. I can't believe we went on an Amsterdam <laughs> tangent. I'm actively angry Sorry. about it. Bill Harford and Alice go to a Amsterdam. party. Damn. Uh, let's talk about the Christmas party. This is the first major sequence of the movie, correct? <laughs> Truly uh, more Christmas lights than an NYU freshman. So many room. lights. Can we talk about the look of this thing, which I, I, I have seen people break down in technical I, I can give you deal. what they did, right. but I, obviously I am no master of lighting. But no. What they did was they shot 
faster. You know, Thomas Kincaid. Right? And then they would force develop it down, which yeah, is something yes. you do usually like in a pinch if you're like losing the light, I think. Correct. It's, it's And, yeah. and yeah. it's usually seen as like, well, that's not going to look as the good. The backlighting was too intense uh, because of all the Christmas lights. And so yep. they had to adopt, uh, drop it's it like down. It's like a, a few desperate times. fix. Yeah, that is seen as like a little bit of a cheat or an unseemly thing. And they like lean into it. And then it's all this sort of very soft diffuse lighting. Mm -hmm. The Christmas lights, China balls, uh, worm bulbs, but but trying to avoid standard Hollywood lighting setups. You create mm -hmm. this very already, even though we haven't gotten into the the dream element of yes. the story. You already you have this sort of like dreamy say Neville's fire of a glow, right? Um, but one of the things like Christmas, everything. it yeah. really it, it really, wasn't it really but it feels like, like a the yeah. Jewish Holy. element of the movie to me is that it feels like a Jew's idea of Christmas. Mm. It's all the the aura of Christmas yeah. and none of the symbology. Yes. It's it's like, it's yes. all just that, the feeling of it. Well, and that's why... Like, you know, they have those lights that look almost like a menorah. You know, those like triangular yeah. Christmas ornament like with lights. Oh, sure. You know, they have yeah. that and I spot it and I'm like, wait, they're not Jewish. Like, but then I realized like, oh, that's not a menorah. You know, things like that. Obviously, the Pollock character is Jewish. Uh, yes. I mean, he is, you know, potentially like a, a collection of very vile Jewish stereotypes. Sure. But I think City Pollock's able to weaponize it away from the that. fact that it was Kaitel at first too. Yeah, no, I gives me a right. level solace where I'm like, <laughs> well, so, okay, so it wasn't intended. It, you know, a lot of that is just Pollock bringing his own aura to the table. But the thing I love so, I mean, this movie has oh, so many great lines. Stan is a Jew as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, that's what I mean. Oh no, no, I mean he was. Yeah. He I think had his you know complicated relationship yeah, with his own Jewishness so as any of us do. Yeah, um, but the thing I love about that first scene is it sort of epitomizes how well-coded the lines of dialogue in this movie are. They they say something, they mean another, but they're not always insufferably on the nose about it or ever. Mm -hmm. And I love how, something I was just thinking about last night watching this movie for, I truly have no idea what number of times when they're, Bill and Alice are dancing and she says, do you know anyone here? And he says, not a soul. And he's like holding his wife. And he's, you know, it's this sort of the precursor to this idea of mystery in a marriage and these mm -hmm. like, uh, the blind spots that you have between two people who spend their lives together. But I love how physically close they are when he's saying that. Yes. I love this whole thing so much. This it's amazing. This opening sequence you're saying? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I love everything in Eyes Wide Shut. The Pollock stuff is all my favorite. I don't know why. It's just that weird veneer of like respectability and the way that quickly he's in the bathroom with a, a naked woman who has overdosed. Well, you're, and the, you're at this party. You're introduced to him with his wife. Thank you for coming. Oh, We're entertaining you know, all these enjoy. people. Enjoy. I have a marble staircase it's lined like with lights. It's so fancy. incredible apartment. <laughs> right. Everyone here is some sort of fucking right, count think, or whatever. I think what it works about his performance is that we feel the same welcoming welcome to the fold sort of warmth. That's the, he's not that even... Tom Cruise does. He's not even like gregarious. Yeah. But there is something kind of real about him that's yeah. not real. And, you know, but like, you know, like, whatever. He, right? He doesn't feel like he's laying it on too thick. No, well, it's it's that thing, too, with, like, you know, famously the reason he ends up playing the agent in Tootsie, which was his first acting role in 20-plus years at that point. He was no interest in being back on He's so camera. good in Tootsie. Incredible. I mean, he's good in there. He's, he's always, I mean... He's so fucking insanely good in Michael Clayton as well. Like anytime death he shows becomes up, her. that one death becomes her. We talked so about this in the good. Death Becomes Her episode where yes. it crystallized it for me, where I'm like, he's the exact actor I would like to age into being, and that wasn't even his main career. Right, that was just something he would do as a goof. Well, but almost. I look at right. the the Tootsie to Michael Clayton run of uh, Sidney Pollock, sometimes character actor working with great directors, 
And I'm like, that's the exact body of work I would like to have. I would like to age into him. Yeah. I can't wait till my nose gets bigger. Well, you want you want a little more hair on the chest than you throw some suspenders the over the bare chest. Look. But, but the, the, yeah, well, the, the tussy thing, though, it, it's okay. important. It's okay. my, my ideal male body, I think, is Sidney Pollock in this movie. That's I mean, what I'm, I'm yeah, sp- aspiring men, to. What men, what's preventing I go to the YMCA like and yeah. I bring a little photo and I just yes. shove it, show it to the people at the desk and I'm yeah. like, make me into that. Make me into this. No, I want. I just want to be him. But um, the Tootsie thing was famously that Hoffman was like, I need you to play this because I need it to be someone I'm intimidated by. I'm going to feel like I can act any actor off the screen because I'll be scared of you because you're the director. Right. It'll work. And similarly, it's very smart to cast Pollock in this because Pollock is a director who's worked with Cruz before. And Cruz is still going to be a little... A little deferential to him. And just like the audacity of bringing the doctor into the bathroom and saying like, look, she had a bit of an accident with a speedball to a fucking unconscious hooker who's apparently been out for five minutes. This is what I want to unpack for a minute. And he's just zipping up his pants. And the way he talks about it, you almost are like... Ah, uh, poor Sidney Pollock. He's really, this is a tough situation for him. Like, I, I, he almost I, I gets you this. on his side. Right. Yeah. The time that elapses between Pollock and his wife welcoming them to the party, right? And suddenly just guy in a suit, come upstairs, we need you immediately. Very calmly, door opened. Here's one passed out. Pollock putting fucking suspenders over his bare chest, casually saying, you know, it's one of these things where we were uh, fucking and I... Uh, uh, the, the speedball, snowball, whatever the fuck, the thing, the heroin and cocaine, what can you do about this? Like right. that thing where he's so nonchalant about it that he makes it feel like you're weird if you act like this is weird. Yeah. It is a thing I think this movie captures so well, but I think it is so good at, not above all else, but one of its main strengths that I don't think most films are able to convey. This very peculiar feeling of when you witness something. Yeah. Or someone says something to you that in an instant fundamentally changes your perception of reality. Mm. There are those moments in your life where someone says something to you, the weird unspoken thing under the table that you never even sensed, where suddenly you have to re-sort of engineer your entire sense of self, your past, everything you knew about this person yourself. Or when you witness just a very bizarre act and you have that sort of disassociative moment the, the speed at which Cruz just gets to work doing this, part of you goes, well, here's this dude. He's this doctor for these upper crust people. Maybe he's constantly getting called in as like, you know, the, the Michael Clayton of physicians to clean up rich people's messes. But part of it is just everyone's acting like this is normal. But it's not. Right. I, right. I, right. Is, the right. fact that this is happening you know, upstairs at the party where his wife is with all these people entertaining, you're just like, this isn't a house call it's happening like at a Sunday saying, at 3 a.m. I fucking dropped a lamp. Can you help me? I, right. I can't find the pieces. You know, I'm like, why is this happening now? The nonchalance of right. it. But right. This is a movie and, about... And when Cruz is like, you give her another hour, he's like, oh, I shouldn't put her in a cab right now because she's just like, oh. Right. You know, and I'm like, and he's just like, no, I would give her an hour. But he doesn't say it in a chiding you way. You think of the yeah. Dennis O'Hare scene in Michael Clayton where he's like, you need to fix this right the fuck now. And yeah, Pollock's like, so what do you recommend? What's the, the protocol? Yeah. The difference between Bill Harford and Michael Clayton is that this is a movie about seduction. It's a movie yes. about desire. And it's about, in the scene, what Ziegler recognizes the weakness in Bill Harford, which is like, this is a guy who's so horny for access into this kind of society. Right. He is so in awe of the power that I wield. Yeah. He is so at my mercy that I can bring him into these secrets that he won't tell. It's a dominance display in a a way where he's just like, right, you get to see this and do me a favor, which I will appreciate. Yes. But you know you can't 
do anything well, about this. This is a guy who you it, know you can't be like this is really fucked up situation, buddy. Like what the fuck is this? Like, but, but it's it's fascinating that that Cruz doesn't play a moment of that. He's inscrutable. It's really hard to read if he's going to that mode by default or because he's made a career out of doing this regularly. The one thing you sense is this is a guy who hates the idea of a closed door. Right. Yeah. Yes. Nothing will turn him on. Showing his doctor's card everywhere. He right. Goes. He he needs to be able to win people over, to achieve enough, to succeed enough that people will open that door for him. And the ultimate sort of message of the Sidney Pollack character is like, you're so much better off not knowing. There are these questions that you think you want to know the answers to, and the reality is, some of them the answers are far more banal than you think, and some of them are so much more fucked up than you think, but also, and you'll be disappointed or horrified by both versions. That's a very generous reading of that character. I also think that he probably takes some pleasure in putting oh, Bill Harvard in this place. Absolutely, but he recognizes, like, you're not a guy who can exist in this world. Yeah, uh, but and it's also the whiplash. You're talking about Cruz's performance in that scene and how sort of uh, un flustered he is. I mean, it's the whiplash of him going from being so high status that he doesn't even remember the babysitter's name, even though his wife told it to him like eight seconds earlier yes. to going into a party where he is the low man, you know, so he's sort of like in reverence to, to uh, Ziegler. I mean, it's like that constant checking where he is in the scheme of things and orienting himself Anytime to Anytime Cruz is low status in a movie, it is solely so that eventually he can have his just desserts by proving everyone fucking wrong, by being the one person who can fucking fix anything. And the fact that this movie just distorts reality around Cruz, who never loosens his grip, right? right? It, his palms just get sweatier and sweatier, like clutching onto anything he can. But he just becomes more and more pathetic and just sort of, it, you just, by the final scene, you just feel like Pollock where you're just like, dude, you, you just fucking back away from it's this. The only other movie that fits that description for Cruz is Magnolia, which he was yes. filmed right after. Yes. Obviously, the other thing happening at the party is that uh, Nicole Kidman, um, Alice is dancing with the Hungarian, right. who's basically like, come on, let me take you and away. Cruz and Cruz has this flirtation with the two models. Yes. They each have um, their brief. Those both happen before he gets called into Pollock's office, right? Well, well, it's like he's with the models when he gets called yes. in, and then she just keeps dancing right. with the Hungarian while he's dealing with this. Right. I mean, she doesn't know what's and, happening, and he obviously. is clearly delighted at the thrill of being able to pass up this opportunity to have sex with these two young models because yeah. he's so happy and secure in, in his marriage. Um, and, uh, yeah, do you think the Hungarian's hot? I don't know. Kind of getting he's, a, he's going to disappear me after this. <laughs> yes, vibe I don't like him. He, yeah. he is a cartoon of hotness. He's like of a certain He's a cartoon of like a not right, of like Abercrombie model rich guy who right. Very will, European. Right, show it's you like a good time. out of a Stefan Zweig novel, this is sort of right. a New Yorker cartoon of, of you know, or Mad Magazine um, cartoon. Of, but he doesn't even have like some sense of like uh, uh, Stellan Skarsgård kink to him where you're like, this guy's a little interesting. Absolutely. Stellan Skarsgård, I will throw down. I will. If the table was between me and right. Stellan, the table's going against the wall. Right. He is outmatched by Nicole Kidman in terms of just like who has the upper hand here. She, like, you know. by the way, just looks so good in this movie. It's crazy. You, this it's, whole it's aesthetic, you yes. know, the little glasses, the up hair. When like, the hair was still curly. A thing curly that she's. Hair is so good. Yeah, why did she abandon the curls? I don't know. When was the last time she was curly haired in a movie? Does she have some curls in Rabbit Hole? 
I felt like that what? was her trying to strip it back again a I little. No, because I've never seen that because I didn't want to. Because hmm. it seemed like a depressing movie. I would movie. not recommend uh, starting now. It looks like she's got a little bit of, yeah, I'm not going to want. No, she's kind of no. just got standard yeah. like Nicole Kidman of the 2000s. She's, she's one of those people where it's it's like the amount of times she's dyed her hair, done different treatments to them. I don't think she could make her hair look like this again if she wanted and it's you look at like BMX bandits where she has like you know fucking a slash mop Dude, her top. big yeah her big orange right. you know bushy hair it's so good this is pretty much the last vestige cuz i feel like when you get to moulin rouge and the others everything's become straightened out more blonde and it's hard to remember well, now moulin rouge, time, right. rouge is red but right. cartoon red it's hard to remember it's a time now very, when people didn't take her seriously as an actress but this for me was really sort of like the ultimate dividing line of like anyone who says that is wrong because because she so I hate to use this phrase because yeah. it's been so played out, but like so understands the assignment, you know, however sure. she had to get there, like the kabuki of of the performance, the, the intonation, the the way that she talks. It's it's so clearly building towards this, this particular mode and she embraces it and owns it. It feels like very. It's also just work. funny that she doesn't get the credit for it at the time. Mm. The validation happens right after this. Right after. She Wait, becomes 2001, everyone's serious, like, quote, unquote, oh, you know serious. what? She's proven herself. It's the others and Moulin Rouge Those that two in year. one year. Yeah. And then by the time she wins the Oscar the following year, she's almost viewed as overdue. And overrated. Yeah. Like, I would say pretty quickly people turned on her. And that sort of Stepford-wise bewitched year, people right. are like, oh, what the hell? Did she just win because she had a big nose in the hours it, or whatever? It, like, you know, so like, quickly went from like, and is then she just famous? Like, is no, she, she a movie star? Right. To Die For, was she just cast right? Right, right, right. right Did right, right. Vincent get a good performance out of her? To Did the she cycle? really want to chase Batman and Batman forever? <laughs> or was her character's name just chased? Was there any correlation between the two? People get obsessed with all the symbolism in this movie, obviously, but this party is filled with all the weird, like, shapes in lights and all that stuff. But anyway, I, I mean, it's that's... also filled with Nick Nightingale. Oh, and he's there playing the piano. That prick piano player. <laughs> what did they say? Never a doctor, never a doctor? Great line. Um, but speaking of doctors, if Tom Cruise was your doctor, mm. my feeling is you would literally never die. But... Yeah. Well, I would also be like, can you check my boobs again? And he'd be like, I did that like 10 <laughs> minutes ago. I'd be like, I don't know. Maybe you should check again. But the thing yeah. is, I would be like, could I please have any of the several prescriptions I need to function as a human being? And he would be like, get out of my office. Right. So it'd be a real balancing act. Yes. Todd Field is someone I would like to see. I'm very excited to see Tar. I'm just happy met, I just he's met back. him for the first time, which I never thought would happen. Cool. Very exciting. Mm. Uh, I, I would... Hey, David. Yeah, he already told me about me. I'm excited about your eidetic memory. So, you know, now we're all just yeah, right? talking, up, talking up ourselves. I would love to see Todd Field do a little Sidney Pollock sidebar yeah, acting act career. Again, Come back. It's been 20 years yeah. plus. I'm like, show up in other good directors' movies sometimes. He's so good in this. He is great in this. He's like genuinely great. And, and obviously his last acting role? No, well, he was, of course, in Jan de Bont's The Haunting. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, after this. The same year. Same year. And then he was in like three movies that do not like exist. Okay. Um, so it is the tale. And obviously he makes In the Bedroom in 2001, right? right. So like he's he's about to work on uh, being a filmmaker. Yeah. And Leon and Vitale, as you like, say, this is such a big moment for him. Like Leon Vitale goes and, and produces or so produces. go marry Leon Vitale? I would love to. Uh, he's sadly he's no longer with us. But I don't know if they'll tell me. But uh, he, yes. uh, yeah. And he produces little children or associate producers. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Kubrick was, I, I think, uh, by all accounts, recognized that he had potential as a director, that his <laughs> interests were going that way, and brought him into the process a little more in a Vitali sort of way of like, I'm going to let you learn. I mean, what this. cooler thing, especially given how long the production was. And, yeah. F you know, Field has essentially, like, 
he's in a lot of the movie yeah. because he's the piano player. Yeah. He has the two big scenes, but then he's also in the fucking orgy. Right. Uh, so he must have he's been on a set a ton. A ton. Right. Yeah. Like, which is probably pretty cool. Yeah. I really, I've said this to Griffin, I need to rewatch In the Bedroom and Little Children. I don't think I've seen either of them since theaters. Yeah. Do you remember the Little Children trailer? Yeah. The yes. trailer is oh. Well, because we were all, that's the thing. We were all like, oh, shit. Here we go. Like, this He's thing's going to win Oscars. Yeah. I, I, and then it came out and everyone was like, hmm, pretty weird. Why, what's with movie. the narrator? You love that movie? I do. I, yeah. but this is also going to be. I, but I, this thing, I remember liking it. I don't remember it that well and I, would I like mean the trailer it. really captures the vibe of the movie which is surprising even how sort of uh, particular the trailer is but this is going to be the least cool thing that anyone has ever said on any podcast but mm -hmm. I literally uh, we had like six or seven people over our house the other night and we just like I put on the little children trailer it's we so were not just like out of the blue we were good. watching trailers yeah. uh, for mod for like new films but I was like hey I had tar in the brain we watched the tar trailer that's what it was okay. and then I was like we got to put on the little trailer the little children trailer in like 240p on YouTube Yeah, and I was like quietly losing my mind people were like alright trains I mean, uh, what, Tar, it's his first movie in 17 years? What's the time span there? 16, yeah, 16 yeah. years. Yeah. Um, when when we were uh, promoting uh, The Tick, Jackie Earl Haley, who was on the first season of The Tick and obviously was in Little Children, Oscar got an Oscar nomination. nomination. But not in the trailer, which is so weird. Anyway. Yeah, it, but an interesting thing where it felt like they were really kind of hiding. Like your, your exposure to him had to solely happen within the context of seeing the actual movie. We were talking, I was asking questions about that movie and that performance, and he went, that guy's such a good director. Griffin, if, if you ever get a chance to be in one of his movies, you should not turn that down. <laughs> and I think about all the time where I'm like, the generosity <laughs> of that statement. Acting like, first of all, here's a guy who Acting like you would be like, eh, Field wants me for his first movie. Like, first of all, he's made a movie in 10 hey, plus years. Griffin, I wrote this film for you. It's called Tar. You play an right. embattled conductor. Yeah. He was just like, Griffin, I really would encourage you to, if you can get cast in one of his movies, Look. do that. And I'm like, yeah, yes. If I, if I yes. can't get Newman, Blanchett apparently said she'll do it. But I really want Newman. Todd feel great in this movie. Nick Nightingale, what a G. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. By the way, if I'm Nick Nightingale, I'm dropping Fidelio to the first friend I see where I'm like, yeah. I have to tell you something. Oh. They play piano oh, at a yeah. crazy orgy. You're getting murdered. <laughs> I know. Well, okay, also, but I couldn't piano, keep it to myself. There's the piano no way. Part is not that hard. Also. No, no, no yeah, the music simple. he's playing. Yeah, yeah, they could probably get a player piano. Like it's more complicated than the score to this film, but it's sure. not. Well, right. Sure, I'm saying he's like a an accomplished well, jazz well. pianist. Like, right. sure, what he's playing at that orgy is not. That but do you far. think? No, but you need. This is the exact level of guy you need. Is like a journeyman. I, I mean, I just love Cruz's like confusion by his existence. Where it's like, you have four kids. Yeah, you're in you're Seattle. Married. You're right, in yeah. Seattle. And it's like, is this your usual band? And he's like, I met these guys an hour ago. No, but this is... Where do you usually play? Wherever they let me. And it's like, how do you have this little control over your life? But this is my question. Do you think he he plays the orgy, he gets like 200K, no questions oh, that's, asked. That's a lot. Mm -hmm. But... Um, it's a it's a fucking orgy from the richest that's people. It's not even alive. my orgy. Yeah, but I feel but I'm like, those like people... is that it's like you just do that twice a year. You come out to New York for the orgy twice yeah. a year. You get a a briefcase full of money, and then so then the rest of your life can be like, eh, I play in jazz. My clubs. my guess shit, is right. My guess is he gets twenty to forty thousand for playing the orgy, and the reason they hire him is they know he's the kind of guy who doesn't think to ask for two hundred thousand. Yeah, well, that probably is true. So right? he gets 20K. Right, he gets like 20K, and he's like, can you believe they pay me 20K? I mean, to and to be fair, he does just have to sit blindfolded and go like, do, 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 do. Right. <laughs> like, you know. But if someone had no. a better sense of like, 
this is your crazy sex no, orgy. Think, I'm holding secrets. You should yeah, pay me out the I nose. Then you, they don't want him. No, but I think if you say, hey, I, I know some secrets, they're like, well, I know a secret. This is a gun. And <laughs> that, you know, like, you know, like, I think it's, you need someone who's kind of not going to. Yeah, I like the, the interview issue. process is all that longer involved. Uh, right. And that, that the thing that, like, he's most, uh, the one thing he belies to Cruz is like, they're like great tits at this party. <laughs> like he's not really upset. He understands this is the a man high has stakes. four children. Right, he'll take what he can get. This is a secret thing, but he's not like there's some fucked up shit going on here. He's like you wouldn't believe the nips in this place. Like he's just basic enough to not really be of risk to them. My big question about the orgy, and I don't think we're quite there yet, is just. You know, the, the, it's supposed to be all these like 40, 50, 60 year old masters of the universe. Mm -hmm. They don't start fucking until the, th okay, Stratos, they don't even get Mechanic, there. Ram Man. Right, right. They don't get there until 2 a.m. They don't start fucking until maybe 3 a.m. Yeah. I don't believe it. I'm asleep at like 11. Like there's just. Yeah, but these guys are doing snowballs <laughs> or lick. <laughs> Dropping dead. Yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's a lot to ask of an old man. No, it does. It does feel like this would be an afternoon activity. <laughs> I know it's less mysterious and cool, yeah. but like you guys kind of want to stay awake. Well, this. I think it's like David says though, they do it maybe once a year. Yeah. You know, so it's like, it's a conference. It's a sex conference. You, right. You get, you get yourself, you have to prepare yourself ahead also, of time. Also a lot of like international hyped plans. up for like a midnight movie at a festival because it's like, I don't have to do this every day, you right. know? A lot of yeah. international yeah. members. I think a lot of people are in different time zones. Sure. They're trying to find a neutral. Oh, that's the move is that you right? fly in from, yes. um, I have to do the math in my head where it would work best. I don't know, Minsk or whatever. Yeah, right. fly it's from like, Minsk. well, for me, this is 10 a.m. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I'm ready to bang. Um, 10 a.m., the perfect time to bang. <laughs> the banging hour, I call it. <laughs> So post you have always said that. It's weird. I have always said that. I say that the first time I meet anybody. And usually, yeah, wildly out of context. Yeah, like to yeah. my child the you first know, time you meet. Yeah, I said, Ace at 10 o'clock is the bang now. Uh, Asa goes to bed late these days, doesn't he? I mean. You'd be real Asa awake at hours where I'm like, mm -mm. no, no, no. Asa is ready to time. rock, uh, you know, when the orgy master comes in. Yeah, also, right. well, I know David. Asa uh, would David. think it was fun if a guy in a big red cloak was walking around, well, right? He, yeah, yeah. What's Sims, he doing? Sims prides himself <laughs> on being a, a top tier texter. Yeah. It's it's one of the aspects of your life I feel like you you show the most pride in. Embarrassing that I take any pride in that, but yes, uh, it's you're true. right. No, you're I'm right. calling out. Erin uh, uh, Marie Barty recently posted a screenshot on her social media of her text exchange with your son Asa. It was Asa's so coming for good. the crown because Asa. <laughs> Well, he'll text like Asa. Well, right, the first like, text was Marie. Sure. And right, Marie right. responded, David. Right. And then the next text was poop. Yes. Yes. And then Marie said, Is this my friend Asa? Mm -hmm. And then he responded, Asa. <laughs> so is are it, you typing these for no. him? Is he dictating? No, What's going I, this on? is a sad symptom of me letting my son spend too much time with my phone is that he has taught himself how to read and write um, on like the Bjork Spotify page for the most part. Cool. Uh, but he had ordered an Uber the other day. Um, <laughs> which and to be fair, my daughter also was. It does not require read and write, but I got there just in time. I had to pay $3 for it. He'd also sent the Uber driver nonsense <laughs> like, <laughs> like pages of nonsense that uh, driver's probably like easy another baby you know, like, does that happen like baby, this is baby clearly money. a baby but he'll text my mom and he'll be like Framma and so she'll know it's Asa because her name's Fran he calls her Framma okay. and then he'll, he'll, just, he'll just be like poop and he'll be like I love you and he'll be like pee <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a good bit it's a good bit Asa rolls um, they go home from the party they're yes. smoking some pot yes and they just fucking get into it, the two of them. Oh, boy, she delivers mm. really upsetting news. Which is? Which is 
this vision, this like sex dream that she, she has. She had a fantasy about a hot Cape Cod Navy man. And uh, it was so hot that she thought about leaving her husband. It, yeah. It's, it, it, yeah. But it's after her doing 10 minutes of like, come the fuck on. You're horny. Admit it. And Tom Cruise is like, I don't know what you're talking about. Right. Like, right. I She's goading him. engage with this. To, yeah. like, the pot is making did you aggressive. Did you fuck them? Right. It's kind of turning her on that those women wanted to fuck him. Yeah. Yeah. And then she reveals this thing that completely changes his understanding of reality. It's so good that it's not an actual affair that it's not even like a close brush misconnection, like the dance with the the scary uh, Nordic man, that it is just like, I, I had this notion and it got me really worked up and I've thought about it a lot. But and what's crucial about that is it's not about sex. If it were about fucking someone else for right. real, that would be push it more into an explicitly sexual territory. This is about desire and in Bill's case, the idea that she's incepting him with that his wife has this like life of the mind outside of him in their marriage. And, right, because if like, it was this... she cheated on him or came close to cheating on him, he could frame that as a moral failing. Right. Right. But this is like this is your unconscious mind. And it's not just like you don't get the sense that he has turned her into like a don't worry darling style, like two dimensional figure. Like he knows right. that she has a really uh, bad movie. Yeah. That she's out. well, you know, everything's going to look that bad in comparison to Eyes Wide Shut. But uh, don't worry, darling doesn't need the help. But like mm. he, he I think you get the sense that he respects her as a woman and a person and uh, yes. and a partner and that she's an accomplished. She's, you know, has, has done uh, impressive things in her life and so on. But he is the mind-blowing realization for him is is that it suddenly opens the door just enough into all these alternative That's possibilities yes. of right. what life could be. She thinks it's like we're stoned and we're saying shit we usually wouldn't say. Right. It's sort of the game let's, of... Let's do... Come on. We were just at this party. We were flirting with other people. Let's fucking, like, come how on. How will you react to this? And it just immediately and destroys he, his complete understanding well, of reality. And her... And her too, but he's really going through the like, wait, should I have fucked X people in the right, past? Right. Should I be doing this in the future? Does my is my wife gonna leave me? Am I even a man? The pot is making should I put those Uggs back on? They were so <laughs> yeah. comfy. The pot is making me aggressive. Yeah, the pot's making everyone aggressive. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it, it is the their performances are so strange in this scene. So strange. And it really is. Imagine you this movie in 1999, yes. you're going to see it and you're like, what's this about? When they're doing this. I can really imagine the most of the audience yeah. is just is, so turned seeing off. Seeing this it. movie for the right. first time, this is the scene where I go, okay, so this is an interesting failed movie. And <laughs> right. then it starts to build for me after this and get to the point where I'm like, this is a masterpiece. And even every time I've rewatched it, when I get to this scene, I go like, am I overrating this a little bit in my mind? When I got to this scene last night, I was like, so Barry Lyndon is better than this by a hair. But, but part of it is... Their performances are so strange. They're operating at a frequency they do not for the rest of this movie, a frequency that I would argue is not matched by any other performance in any other Kubrick movie. It's so weird, but it does sort of make sense in this way of when you are very stoned and suddenly find yourself in a serious conversation right. and your grasp on reality, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. your You're voice, like, wait, 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 your what, body. What, is, what argument can I even make right now? I don't yeah. understand. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's, but it's also one of the first scenes of the movie that's really imploring you, forcing you out of looking at it through a realistic lens. Yes. yes. It's, it's all it's about, for me, the most important detail of their apartment beyond the fact that literally every fucking square inch of wall space is covered in a painting. I mean, many of them by Kubrick's wife, but yeah. like, um, it's just like a, 
a little bit much, you guys. Learn about negative space. But uh, <laughs> the, is the windows. The windows reveal every time you look at them that they are on a soundstage. Yes. They make no real intent or attempt rather to make it look like a real cityscape. Which, it's just way, is blue and yeah, black with little blue. squares of yellow. It is incredibly easy to do. Like the amount of times you are watching movies or TV shows where, you know, especially in a pre-green screen era, it is just a still backdrop behind the window and your eyes never clock it. He, right. he is choosing to let it look this Otherworldly. He doesn't want Everything you to think about, about this scene as if it's super realistic. He no. also doesn't want you to think about it in like a sort of Lynchian, like this is just a dream. It's like, right. doesn't, you know, it's unmoored from reality sort of way. It has to occupy that middle space, um, which it does. Yes. But as we're saying, I mean, Cruz is just going more and more into like, Philip Seymour Hoffman is threatening me with the rabbit foot to kill my well, girlfriend. Or, or it's like you were having a fucking argument with someone on the playground and then suddenly you're like in a courtroom or whatever. Right. It's just like the shift of it to something really existential for their marriage and, is and frightening. And Kidman, as we're saying, is like every line reading is 700 take energy of just, I need to do something different. But it is, this is where you feel it the most, the like yes. the many takes. God, it just I, feels like they're trapped in yes. this argument. They yes. can't get out right. of it. Right. Yes. You, you would believe if you were told that this scene was six months. This is straight in and of itself. TMI for, and they'd ruin their for a podcast right, right. is popular, but like <laughs> my wife recently- you, Wait, you're going to be TMI? Uh, okay. <laughs> but my wife recently huh. uh, ordered that exact lingerie set that oh, Nicole yeah. Kidman is wearing. Oh, with, like, no, I didn't say anything. Shout she out, Elise. bought it. Uh, and I was like, <laughs> what's racing What's up? What's up? <laughs> but yeah, absolute what hottie. message are you trying to send here? <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> like, what, the what's the subtext? Aggressive. Is yeah. the plot making you aggressive? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it's, and Tom Cruise's hair is doing such incredible acting in this is, in the scene. It is just the way that it dangles. Insane. Oh. Insane. You can feel the like the unraveling tension but also so tight. Wait, look, we've covered so many Tom Cruise movies on this podcast this because is he hair. is a director who works with so many cultures. He's what? He's the best one? Uh, it's his best hair. I'm just I'm just his I'm dropping hair in that this movie is outrageous. Can you pull up that that blank check meta this Twitter account that I love that every day posts a different actor and how many times they've been covered on the show? Yeah, it's a great account. Um, uh, what is the account called? Let me find it. I'm just it. curious what the current Cruise count is, especially with the Mission Possibles on on Patreon. But I don't know if there's an actor whose hair... Hanks is another one, obviously. Hanks, obviously, way one. up there. But I think Cruz might be number one now. Well, yeah, he's he's got two Carrie tweets. Fisher also was way up there. Well, the Star Wars one's been... A, but then, like, yeah. when Harry met Sally... I know, uh, but it's still Star Wars. I know, I know, I know, I know. Uh, Jerry Maguire, Vanilla Sky, Jack Reacher, Jack Reacher, Never Go Back. That's sort of one. Yeah. Sure. Uh, Minority Report, War of the Worlds, Ghost Protocol, Collateral. That's seven plus this would be eight main feed okay. movies. And then you have... Six Mission Impossible movies and the Mummy on the uh, yeah on the special feature. I just don't know if any other actor's hair is this versatile. <laughs> so when versatile. it is genuinely the Daniel Day Lewis's hair, when it's genuinely their hair, and it's not like he's doing some crazy like in this one. I got a perm. No, it's it, and his hair is perfect, and it. it's exactly what it it's should be. It's always perfect. Which yes. Like, it's like, it's, yes. It's, I actually, Has he ever made a mistake? There's no Da Vinci Code weird hair, I would argue. I don't love the longer hair for in like Mission Impossible 2, but I will I say. I think it fits the time. I, I do. I think it's almost always the right hair for that moment, that movie. Sure. I mean, it is iconic in its way, but it's as someone who doesn't really think about actors' hair, yeah. I was nervous about watching the trailer for the new Mission Impossible because oh, I was sure. like, what's the hair going to be? What's the hair? If I don't but like it the seems, hair, it's very it's similar. Ruin my life. It's very similar to his recent Yeah. Because right. for a while, Mission Impossible yeah. would, no, would fluctuate every other film. But for now he's just kind of... Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. he has long hair in two and four. 
Yeah. Yeah. Correct. I, I think the missions tend to be a little more impossible when they're shorter. Not like the buzz cut, but I, I like when they're shorter. I think that ghost, uh, what's the next one called? Fucking Rogue. Dead Reckon. Whatever. Yeah. Is, uh, I can't wait. But it's the, I think that's the ideal length. I think. I it's, hope it's, it's a good really, They should call it really 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 cut. Stinks. I would hate that. <laughs> So <laughs> it would really fun. suck. I cannot tell you. You know what? That I watched the be, Way of uh, Water trailer, the Wakanda Forever trailer, and the Dead Reckoning trailer like a lot. at least once a week for each and just go like, I need one of these. I think all three of those roll. are going to roll. I hope so. Yeah. So, but Bill goes out into the night. He's well, he high gets the for like phone half call. of his movie. Yeah. He gets the phone call that a patient died. Right. And he goes to that house and that's where Mary and the daughter tries to seduce him. It's funny how um, little... In a, this weird way where she's like, I love you, let's run away together. And yeah. he's like, you've literally never talked to me outside of the context right. of your father's illness. Right. Um, but I'm with her. I love him too. And then a guy, her her partner comes in who's like Thomas trying Gibson. to be... Greg! Greg. It's Greg! Greg. From Dharma of Dharma and, and Greg. Greg. Oh, that means nothing to Notoriously, me. I know Jenna uh, Elfman, but was fired I just think of her as Ken Hartley for kicking somebody. Famously kind of an asshole. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. I just get big, like, Rodrigo Santoro in Love Actually vibes. Like, the the, the prototype of that. No, it's insane that this. Rodrigo Santoro is in Love Actually. Yes. Anyway, sorry, carry on. <laughs> no, the fact that he's Greg, that it's like... It's Greg. I, I guess he hires him before Dharma. It would be funny if she was Dharma. She was like, <laughs> I just love you, and I also love Eastern Medicine. Or whatever. Whatever Dharma did. He must get cast in this movie before Dharma and Greg premieres. Of but course. by the time this movie comes out, Dharma and Greg is yeah. already a He hit. was cast in this movie before, like, Must See TV existed. But Jenna Elfman was, was a prominent... in this movie before <laughs> I Love Lucy premiered. She was a prominent Scientologist, right? Maybe oh, yes. he carried the message to her. Maybe he Possibly. The... Or maybe he recommended yeah. Elfman to Greg. I don't know. The point is, at this point, he's shorthand for, like, uptight normal sitcom man what's going on yeah right yeah. Oh, me and my wacky wife there's something just so funny of the reveal of like oh no my husband's coming and it's fucking Greg walking down a hallway being oblivious but yes it, it is you have a scene where this woman sort of acknowledges the weird movie star pull of Cruz yes right, when right. The last, I'm obsessed with you when the last 30-40 minutes of this movie have largely been cucking him yeah well and deflating him. But Where I now think, he's even questioning I think he's his not, drop. Right, I think he's not even... He is. He does feel an unstable at the idea that his wife could cheat on him. But yes. I think he's also having the feeling of like, should I have been cheating on my wife? Yeah. yeah. Like, am I actually an asshole? Should, should we be pollocking my way around town? And what right. happens in every subsequent scene for the next hour of this movie is someone tries to have sex with him. Yeah. And it, it goes And they, and they cut the scene where I try. Uh, they, they sure did. It was weird that they for shot that. Movie. But you weird, were in England at the time. Me. So uh, they it, could, it all checks out. But like, they, and everyone, there's lots of kissing, which you also like. Mm. Uh, I do love kissing. But, and but I love Vanessa There's Shaw. even kissing with the mask. I mean, we'll get to Vanessa Shaw and that dress. But There's even 69ing with the mask, which feels... <laughs> a little counterproductive. Yeah, it feels um, right ob obtuse. There's no mouthless there. You're just the rubbing plaster lips. But again. what's interesting about what Griffin said in the scene is that, like, yes, that is the charm that he's radiating. Mm -hmm. It's the first time we feel it. But he's also, again, in a subservient position. He's a hired hand of this yes. ultra-rich family. Yeah. He's making house calls, uh, you know, which is not something that normal people, myself, when this was happening right. in my family, like, we don't afford. Also making a house call to confirm that a guy has died. Right, and he just, like, feels his Walking head. Walking into like, a you know, dead body in a room. It's so, uh, it says so much though about like the fact that he's making house calls still. Yes. At all. Yes. But it just makes complete sense that it would be like super rich people can basically get whatever they want. Yeah. But it's also like, yeah. I think he wants to get out there. Like he like likes to leave the house and just go like 
have that that feeling of people who need him or in his thrall. Yeah. It's like his kink. Okay. You know? Yeah, I can see that too. Uh, it's definitely oh, yeah. a great excuse to get out of having that conversation. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I got to go dead body to check so out. He's just praying yeah. like someone dies, someone dies. Yeah. That's when he meets Domino right mm-hmm. after the, uh, yeah, the, the, the dead guy. Right after the, he meets Greg. Uh, Domino played by Vanessa Shaw, a.k.a., you know, my wife. Mm. She's the best. When is she bad? Never. You know what she's incredible in? Two lovers. That's right. Yep. Oh, man. Uh, James Gracie's in approaches. The, yeah, I mean, yeah. what's, uh, that scene is so fascinating because she is the platonic ideal of like a normal man's perfect, yes. uh, you know, what's like sex worker. Yeah. Um, like that, like she is a very nice uh, grad student who doesn't seem like she does this a lot. Charmingly She's messy. very apartment. pretty, charmingly messy. It's just right here. It's very right. warm. We're going to have a nice time. I'm going to speak of you fondly afterwards. Um, it's, it is like cartoonish yeah. to the degree that it is a fantasy for someone who is, wants to like do a little dalliance in paying for sex. Yeah. She was a child actor. She's, of course, in Hocus Pocus and was in some other stuff. And then she takes... Um, uh, she wasn't in Hocus Pocus. She, she fucking owns ruins. Exactly. Hocus Pocus. Yes, she, yes, yeah. she owned my heart but in she, Hocus in the Pocus. Hmm. Good question. Premieres Probably tonight. Great. Does it premiere tonight? Yeah. It doesn't look like she's in Why the sequel. It's September release? It's, I mean, it's premiering tonight. I don't <laughs> I know. know but wait for October 1st. Literally wait like It's three true. Days. Could you wait three days? Yeah. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> We've waited doing. for 25 it's years. It's fucking Tuesday. I know. Like, we have to be premiering <laughs> Hocus Pocus on a random Tuesday. September. I'm just like October 1st. I would remember that's when it's coming out. Sure. Oh, boy. Anyway, all Disney Plus original be able movies to, are great. You'd be able to tell your grandkids they're exactly the day Hocus Pocus 2 premiered. Yeah. Remember. When was it? It should have been October 1st, but I think it was end of September. <laughs> I mean, the domino thing is like the, it's like, what if you were approached by a sex worker, like, you know, who was Vanessa Shaw in the most stunning dress? Yes. And she was just like, I'll take care of everything. Just come back to my apartment yeah. and making out with you on the street. Like this. Absolute dream world, like, vibes. The thing I was going to say, child of actors, works as a child actor, takes several years off, goes to college, isn't sure she wants to act again, gets called in by Kubrick. And there's a very charming story, I think it's in the dossier, that, like, Kubrick put his hand on her shoulder after a take and was, like, glowing. And he was like, I'm so excited for you to have the career that I know you can have. Hell yeah. Which just sort of like... She should have had a better one. She should God bless, she's had a she good career. And she but still like, works, yeah, but it's, works. she's one of those people who always feels like is undervalued uh, while being totally consistent pro. Um, but that she was like, I was at a point where I was like, acting was a thing I did when I was a kid. I don't know if I really want to do this ever again. He was the guy who made her feel that not only could she have a career doing it, but that she enjoyed doing it and felt a sense of autonomy over doing it. And she said she felt really empowered by how much he was telling her, like, you're going to do incredible stuff. Yeah. Um, well, she does rule. Yeah. Um, but their encounter, of course, is set. Every time he's tempted. He gets the yes. kiss. He, gets, he makes out with her and mm-hmm. they go to her apartment. And then he's nice like. Nice work if you can get it. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. You get, you get paid to kiss Tom Cruise? Continuing my. Oh, I was in Vanessa Shaw picture. Well, yeah. Either way. But, and, and he does the sort of like, I. I think I should go. David's oh, doing a very good physical <laughs> cruise. I think I should go. And he's got the fucking jacket, you know, and it yeah. feels like there's this force field on him. It's also Christmas. It is Christmas. It is. That's it's like another Christmas. It's another yeah. thing that off, is very off-putting yep. about, like, the fact that he's cheating on his wife, mm-hmm. sure. mother of his children, but it's well, holidays. One, it's, one very precocious child. Sure. Yeah. But uh, it's sad that it's like, for her too, thinking about her character that like 
She's working on, She's Christmas, working on Christmas, picking up, you know, waspy yeah. doctors walking the streets. I mean, that's the thing. If I'm a very high-powered uh, sex worker, uh, I might at Christmas be like, there's going to be some rich guy having an existential crisis <laughs> if I just walk up and down Fifth Avenue. Yeah. But there's that, but like, but she's also, he's like red meat for her. She sees him and she's like, oh my God, no, she, perfect. she's perfect. And so there's this really sweet feeling of them both sort of looking for each other and being drawn to each other. It is sort of, you know, Ben's talking about Christmas, like the gift of the Magi, this between Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. Like they're both going out into the world in their ways and like looking for the thing that their mm-hmm. partner needs in the most fucked up ways. Uh, but another everyone calls this a class. Now the take is it's boring to say Eyes Wide Shut is a classic Christmas movie now, yeah. right? It's like yes. it's like ten years ago saying Die Hard is a classic Christmas movie. Now it's just like we all accept. God, do you think Die Hard's a Christmas? We Wait should litigate second. this. What's for going a on? Bit. When's yeah. it set? I think yeah. the fun take that we can start right here is that we're reclaiming it as the Jews' Christmas movie. It's like Chinese food on Christmas. It's Absolutely. like uh, hey, I mean, I watch it <laughs> often at Christmas. Is Eyes Wide Shut secretly a great Hanukkah movie? Oh, wow. Is it the only Hanukkah movie? That he has one been? crazy night. Sir. He has one crazy night and there is a miracle. And there's he potential doesn't get killed. <laughs> His light should have been if, extinguished at the when, end of this night and somehow when, it kept burning. When the girl woke up with Sidney Pollack, Sidney Pollack went, it's a Hanukkah miracle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no more speedballs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Talk to the girl for a second. I got to light another candle for you the third night. I got to spin a dreidel over here. Gimbal. I think I wanted to say, uh, much has been talked about uh, Kubrick's weird artificial New York in this movie. Yes. Which well, people at the time... Uh, theater was, of the mind. Right, but people yes. went like, it looks nothing like New York. He's failed. This Where's is the downside to his hermetic right. whatever. It's mostly this one major it's street like, set like they built. It's like two streets right. that intersect. There are only yeah. a couple things that are actually shot in the streets of London, but they built like this big sort of um, intersection. Yeah. And then they would flip it sometimes in the shot so that they could change the orientation of it. And every time they shot a new scene there, they'd redress all the businesses to make it look different. But you're basically reusing this same intersection over and over again. And a thing that's talked about a lot with this movie is like, there are very few extras. Right. There's pretty much no one on a street. It is Christmas time. Unless they exist to actually interact with this character. Right. They're going to call him a homophobic slur. They're going to hit on him. Right. They're going to offer him a cloak. It's a, it's a right. snow globe. I mean, the movie is not He's like in a, his yeah. fucking brain. Right. right. And I think people viewed this as a failing of like, well, New York City's not like this. It's a city that never sleeps. They're constantly No one's selling hot dogs in, out of water. But... <laughs> but it is the thing that is very spooky if you ever find yourself in a part of New York that is just quiet. Yes. If suddenly you walk down a street where it's, no one is. Especially at a time like like some holiday weekend or whatever. Whether because you're lost in the Monk part of town or just for whatever reason, there's no one here. You have an accidental midnight vanilla sky moment. But I, I think one of the big secrets they, they do to make it feel like it's, you know, still uh, hermetic, but yeah. not just literally two streets, is that they have him take a cab from one part of the village to yes. another part of the village, which is just like, sure. <laughs> it's like, it would have been half, you know, half as fast to walk it or twice but as I fast. I totally believe it with this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's, he doesn't, right. He well, doesn't. I mean, he did uh, what, not have the best walk over to that part of town. So. What if there was a really wise hot dog vendor who said like, you know what? What's most important is family. <laughs> it's like putting the hot dog. But this movie, there's, you know, I, I think uh, it, interesting to look at this movie against uh, After Hours in certain ways, Another right? The movie that Stanley Kubrick adored. Yes. And yes. one of my favorite movies of great all time. Movie. Uh, About a wild, crazy night in New York City. The Great American Griffin movie. Mm. Um, in many senses. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a movie that is very obsessed with the actual realities of mm-hmm. 80s mm-hmm. New York City and is the same one crazy night. But it's shot that in doesn't locations end. and it's absolutely much, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Feels um, like you're in New York. But but it's also a movie where all this guy wants is for this night to end. 
Right. And he Eyes Wide Shut sleep. has the vibe of this guy being like, what if I just push this a little bit Right, because he's like, if I go to sleep, then it's back to normal. Yeah. That feeling yeah. of, look, on the lowest scale level, that feeling of a bar is closing, you leave a bar, you're walking to the subway, impulsively go like, what if I go into a different bar? What if I just don't go home? It sounds like a Griffin. He doesn't thing. What leave if I the take house a until like 11. <laughs> right. Like, right. No, I know, but he is, he's doing the thing like in Minecraft when you're just like, one more tunneling session right. and I'm not going to die. What if I just do another thing? What if uh, I just keep drinking? Uh, so he goes yeah. and meets ben gets it. Nick yeah. Nightingale, oh, uh, the legend. And they're chatting. Right. Uh, and Nick Nightingale Nick gets a phone call. Three performances in one night. Yeah. The, the man's fucking working. Yeah. Playing the saddest looking well, jazz club the, of all time. The the party they go to at the beginning of the movie was the night the before. Night before. Oh, That's okay. True. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. Still, he feels like the Ray Romano of jazz pianos. <laughs> I've got to do uh, three sets. I've got to do three sets in an orgy. I've got to stand. They blindfold me. I tell jokes about Deborah. <laughs> Deborah. But um, there is that feeling that you were talking about earlier, Sims, of like he's itching. Like he yeah, knows he's like, that this is dangerous. It's a but he's like, up, don't you want to ask? Like, huh? It does feel Not my like last show tonight. if he had lived another 10 years, Kubrick might have gone like, maybe Ray to play. <laughs> you could have seen in the sure. line of all his comedic leading <laughs> the men. The Aryan Papers starring Ray Romano. <laughs> But to, for this movie, what you the could hell see there being a version of which I thought you meant his cloak. next movie. Right. So, Nick Nightingale, the G, tells him he's mm-hmm. going to need a black cloak, a mask, and a third item. What's the third? Well, item? it's he. He sees the password. Yeah, no, he sees the pass, tells him about the orgy. We got to keep. We got to move. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, wait, what's the third? Item? It's a black cloak. I'm at. They say it so many fucking times. Maybe it's not. Anything. He needs a hood. He needs a mask. Tuxedo. He needs yeah. Tux. That's yeah, what it is. Tux. tux cloak. I love mask. that he goes like, they'll kick you out dressed like this, and you're just like, this is the most upstanding gentleman yeah. of New yeah, York he looks City. Fine. He's got a fucking waistcoat. <laughs> yes. You get a great reaction shot of Cruz being like, what the fuck are you talking right. about? Like, do you know how good I look? But it's that thing, it's that level of like, you don't understand the stratas of wealth, of right. power, of access. This is, These people this are is the thing, this is the layer comprehend. beyond you that you think right. exists. It's like, say, you know, say this movie is just happening in his brain. That's It's it's what he thinks he can peek beyond. Right. Right. I also think there's this interesting thing this movie raises, right? Because the, the the dumb thing of people thinking like, you know, much like the, the notion that The Shining is him confessing that he faked the moon landing, right. Right. that a movie like this is Kubrick being like, I have the files on all these perverts and I'm leaving you the clues right, to right. solve the mystery <laughs> after you, my death. In 20 short years, right. you'll figure it out. That this is his book of Henry. He's leaving instructions for how to fucking uh, fake uh, Epstein's suicide. I mean, but, we are going to get a room 237 about Eyes Wide Shut. I'm yes, probably, you know, hopefully be in it. But, uh, but, yeah. but whenever these stories come out about these guys, I do feel like there's the question that everyone sort of stews on where it's like, is it that people this deviant need to achieve the highest levels of success so that they have the security and the sort of insulation to be able to like follow their whims willy-nilly? Or is it that reaching this level of success, having this much money, this much access, completely perverts and breaks your brain? I think, it I think it's chasing the dragon. I think it's... It, it, I think it's like, yeah. at some point, you're like, I have to hunt people now? Right, it's true. Because right. I've shot You've all the endangered You've conquered everything animals. in the world. The, the only world. thing to do is to break laws with impunity. Right, But right, I think, right. I think right. Ben's right, because it's like, the, the thing about the orgy, which is, again, not supposed to be like the hottest thing of all time. It's yeah. not supposed to be like, could you imagine something this hardcore? I mean, this is a very chaste film by most 
you know, standards, at least as far as the subject matter is concerned. But it's about these people who like don't know how to have sex anymore because their right, minds right, have been so exactly. riddled this by This is riches. the only way these people They're like, come. we can only fuck if we make it a fucking ritualistic, like medieval orgy. And, and, and like jump ahead to the end of the movie, but like when Pollock does his final explanation, I find it in certain ways equally believable that they need to kill people to cover their tracks and that they need to pretend that they kill people for the theater of their own excitement. Right. There's a note that Kubrick had in a much earlier draft of the script where he was thinking about like, they have this whole plan. They don't know when they're going to need to use it, right. but they have it ready to go for when an interloper comes into the orgy. Right, so it's like, gonna... did they execute ghost protocol? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or yeah. is it like, no, our thing is this theater of pretending like we kill people. It's basically right. sleep no more, but like, right. you know, people right. are but that is a way you buy can... this is just sleep no more. Right, when he says, do you think, so you guys think that like that's a possibility that this is some big staged whatever As like a possibility yeah, like improv events the most yes. important thing is for that the rich and there perverted. is not that, like you know we don't put the miss the forest for the trees and think it matters no um, but no, no the, i know but, that but, but, I know, I'm unknowable. Saying, but like but the first time no. i watch I, I i like that it's unknowable the first time i watch it i leaned more on the side of sleep no more with with a mild side of deviancy, I've met, but, and rewatching right. it this time, I felt like I think Sidney Pollock's covering their tracks. Kubrick delights in swapping out the dead actress. Yes, you know, like the the person you see in the morgue slab is not the right. same actress, and it's actually. I mean, I wish I had this handy. I have this whole fucking book sitting on my lap, but there is Ehrlich the most, has a book with like a forty different <laughs> little colored. <laughs> here's the most amazing. Which book is this? It's just the. It's the same book that I think JJ was reading. The, oh, the, the making, making, making. Yeah, but the woman who plays the girl who redeems. Tom Cruise yeah. has the most incredible quote that I just found um, because it was originally supposed to be Mandy who redeems right. him, the woman from uh, Ziegler's house at the beginning. Yeah. And then this, uh, this actress, Abigail Good, who ends up playing her, says, uh, Davis, who plays Mandy, was a difficult girl to work with and she was always late. She added that Kubrick liked my long legs. He preferred the way I walk. Or it might have been simply that I had a better body than she did. <laughs> it's like, Jesus. <laughs> it's like you already got the part, man. She's already dead. It, it is wild when you get to the party how it feels like the women pretty much all have identical bodies. Yes. And it's so they like look it's unerotic. Like, yeah. The 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 G strings, which he was very particular about, yeah. apparently he was sent basically every cut of women's underwear that existed. Yeah. Like as he was picking, because yes. he was like, no, not quite right. Are so unsexy. Is that crazy for no, me to no, say? No, no, it is. It, because are, they feel like action figures almost. Like the way they're just kind of walking around like our robots. Our Showgirls yeah. episode, you talked about Pearl Verhoeven's attack on the breast. <laughs> right, yes. How that ma movie makes boobs feel upsetting. <laughs> and this is just a movie where like you're watching incredibly attractive like, you know, these hourglass model women like fuck on screen and it just feels like you're watching nature photography. Right. Yeah. Like it's it's weirdly unerotic. But you know, Kubrick talked all the time about it. This was his most personal movie and that's such an enigmatic thing for such all an enigmatic really figure to say. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, you know, this is a documentary shot in real time. But it's no, based on true he, friendship. He did meet his wife, Christiane, at an enormous masked ball where he was performing, uh, and and or she was performing, rather. Okay. And he was the only one who wasn't in a costume, and he felt like everyone was looking at him. Wow. <laughs> so that, that, like, what I like to think about is, like, okay, so I'm a rich, evil guy, right? Congrats. Can, can I only come if I'm fucking 
you know, anonymous strangers in a room where lots of other people are having sex in, in a castle or in a state. Sure. Or can I only come if I'm doing that and I know there's one new guy here? <laughs> right. Like, you know, where I'm like, so the new guy's coming, right? You think there's <laughs> like, always a be, sacrificial lamb? That's what I'm saying. Like, do, can they only do this and be like, and we're going to leave some bait for like some random right. wasp to show up and it think he knows what he's doing, feel like right? that's part of what turns them on. Right, right. The whole thing's about power, obviously. And desire love, and like being able right. to covet the things they already have. And They love being know. able to sniff him out. They love being able to kick him out. Yeah. Right. They're not right. angry that he snuck in. But like that's, they're like, okay, yeah, sure, three hours of mindless, masked fucking right. When are we having the weird the biggest, trial of Tom Cruise? <laughs> yeah, well, the thing is, the biggest boner <laughs> that anyone... They're under their robes when that's happening. <laughs> the biggest boner that anyone gets that night is definitely the moment when Cruise walks into the room and finds them all waiting for him. Yeah. Like, that's the moment they're But then they for. don't... And it's funny that Kubrick put in the boing sound effect <laughs> but then they don't strip him naked which is no. like a weird it's such a good threat it's much better than like we're gonna hurt you it's like we're gonna humiliate no, you because the front next of these day people. is is the greater satisfaction it's but not so, like we could take you naked tonight or right. we can drive you insane for another 24 no I, for I, sure thing where like this movie has gone through tears of hyper people are like you're gonna see tom cruise's dick on screen We've you're an hour and a half all into this moves. film most people haven't seen all, all the, the right, right moves, moves. Right. but you're like an hour and a half into this movie that the audience is probably losing patience for and you get to this scene where they're like undressed and people are like here we go salacious and decent but like isn't there's it's isn't there something interesting about how it's a movie they're they're not all but most of these robed people have been naked and having sex yes. for hours and then the idea of him taking his clothes off you're like god that would be so awful so weird for him to like suddenly be like clothes. uh okay yeah, yeah. Just standing there uncomfortably <laughs> like yeah. and what like it, the weird emasculation of it it's so effective uh, uh, we we should just jump touch back on, to rates yeah, yeah. yeah we gotta talk yeah, about it. Mean, a little bit of him we get a little Jesus bit of Jesus Christ yeah. what a performance he really and does Lily Sobieski put some is, sauce uh, on you know a yes. very different um, vibe from her but she's doing a great job he's doing the th what's the thermostat thing we say Oh, the thermostat performance, where someone like, is able to enter into a movie and completely change the temperature. I feel like, right, yeah. would you argue that he's doing that in this in this film? Yeah, it's also this movie has not had a lot of levity. It's been it's been going at a very patient clip. Yeah. And now we have a guy in here who's like talking like a person. Okay, yes. okay, you're in a hurry. But I'm in a the, hurry. He's like fucking. He's like uh, Watto. He's the Watto. He's, that's the thing. he's almost too like much of a sort of like Eddie. goofy merchant, right? He's like, now what was it you said? Black? And it's like, what did you think he said? Green? Like <laughs> he said black. Your mind like, tricks don't work on me. <laughs> Only no, one hundred I can't do, and he's like two hundred. The guy's like. Two hundred. Okay. Over the asking yeah. price. I do have two Japanese guys and my daughter up here, but yeah, sure, two hundred bucks. I'm unlocking the door. Red, I give you the outfit. Blue, <laughs> his mother. The, the weirdest thing is he's just like this is really annoying, and it's like he literally needs you to go and get something off of a rack, and he's going to pay you like double. You live above. <laughs> like, is this hard? It seems like you were already awake, considering how quickly you responded to the thing. Like, he doesn't have groggy energy. This is a guy who feels like he's awake it's not all like night. Yeah, I was about to say, up, I don't you know? think this guy sleeps ever. No. Maybe he just kind of like sits in a chair and is yeah. quiet for a little bit. But also, so when you're he sees a doctor, I did my my hair, and you're like, is this? Is he saying this is a joke or is this a genuine? Let's see, I need the hair for male pattern. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously his reaction to the sight of his daughter with two older men wearing wigs and powder. But another faces. one of these things that what I'm talking about where you just see something that is inexplicable right. that raises so many and you, questions that you can't ask any your perception questions. of reality right. is immediately changed and cloak, every cloak. bit of it cloak. makes less sense to you. What he knows these men, why are they dressed like this? It's his daughter. You know, everything about it is 
is strange. He gets right back to the transaction too. Yes. But, you know, he's like, all right, anyway, where were we? But right. he's very, um, you know, Claude Rains in Casablanca about this, yes. right? Where he's like, I can't believe you're doing this. What a shocking thing for My me to friends. see. Oh no. The best is when he locks them in the room and he turns, he's like, I'm with a customer. Right. <laughs> oh, this is so embarrassing for me that you would be doing this. I didn't know about it wigs. at all. Yeah. And it's so distressing. All the implications of it are so distressing. Horrible. Lily Sobieski, who's amazing. It's a tiny role, obviously, yeah. but she was such a striking actor at that point. I mean, Just she went from weird, like, giggly, from deep I, impact and like, She's you know, amazing at Deep Impact. Uh, Soldier's Daughter Never Cries. Yeah, yeah. But she probably went from this to Deep Impact, well, probably. right? <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> um, um, yeah. but, but yes, it's it's the early sign. It should be the early sign for Cruz of like, you don't want to enter into this world. The, the things you're going to see are going to raise questions that you don't want answers to. Right, right, right. It's, right. it's the, the underlying sort of stories. Is monogamy, you know, is the, the not knowing of monogamy, right. is that maybe preferable to the, I'm going to blow my life up and go and chase all these stuff dragon dragons. can't unknow about, right. like, the depths of, of human depravity right. and, and shit like that. But yes, yes, inc incredible. Where the rainbow ends. Uh, bizarre and strange. He gets his outfit. He gets his outfit, and it is, and then he arrives, and it, it, it is weird when he arrives at the orgy, and he's like, uh, hey guys, and they're like, what's up? And he's this like, uh, Fidelio, and they're like, we'll take you up. And they should be like, who are you? Why are you showing up so late? In a cab. In a cab. Yeah. Okay, in also, a fucking cab where you're fuck like, oh, ripping, ripping me a hundred dollar bill. It, no, that it is, is annoying. Yeah. An insane okay, what if move. He did this? So crazy. It's what the if he craziest did this? thing that happens in this entire <laughs> and film. It makes me so mad. What if he did yeah. this? Rips the hundred dollar bill in half, yeah. hands him one hundred dollar, half the hundred dollar bill, and a roll of scotch tape. Because then it's like you're not gonna have to do any work putting this back Look, together. I remember the first time as a kid, I accidentally like ripped a twenty that I was saving like, oh, up to no! buy like a Pokemon right. starter deck or whatever. And my dad was like, "If you tape it, it is legal tender. Right. They have to accept it." Right. Even still, no. It's anytime a little time I tried to cash a taped up dollar bill. I felt like a jamoke. Okay, but riddle <laughs> it's me. It's rude to do it to the guy's face. I agree. I agree. I agree. Oh, it's a dick move. He's got another hundo in there. Like you can spare it. But it's also the thing of like he—he's still Mister Power in the cab. This is the last, and he's time. about to stop being. That. He's yeah. his power's been wants, tested the whole night, right? And he wants and he's to back in his own. Yes. But riddle me this: Where are all the other drivers? Are they all just like in a room together smoking, being like, "Yeah, another orgy"? That like, would be funny. Yeah. <laughs> There's like Andrew Dice Clay and company, and they're like. Uh, like, these uh, guys boss really is fucking until 5 a.m. again, God. Jesus. I'd last 10 minutes up there. Um, and then we're in the orgy. One of the great sequences in all American oh, film. Oh, oh, if you can call oh, this American oh, film. Oh, oh. Jocelyn Pook just wilding out. Uh, yeah, apparently Stanley Kubrick told her, let's do some sex music. And she was like, I don't, okay. It's <laughs> <laughs> like Barry White. So what do you mean? <laughs> What do you fuck to? It would be funny if Barry White was at the orgy. Instead oh, of no, just, Justin Timberlake in the background the... doing like uh, sexy back. Wait for someone to it's, do a cut of that. And we post on Twitter. It's so scary. I find it all so unsettling. And I do think the first time I watched it, it was like two in the morning in yeah. my fucking home in Newcastle where I went to college, like on this little TV. And it what? really did. And it really did. Like the music and everything, you're just like this was happening down I'm the street. Not from turned where you on, were. Yeah. right? Yeah, and I'm so distressed. Look, not to be gross about it, mm. but like when you're a 13 or 14 year old boy watching a movie late at night on a TV in your bedroom, and it has this many boobs, and it's this impossible to jerk off to, <laughs> it's almost a, a, an accomplishment on a scale that's that's hard to compare, right? 
Yeah, I don't know. What do we think of the origin? I mean, it's it's an incredible, incredible sequence. So um, I think it has that magical power that Kubrick was always looking for. Yeah. Uh, the, the sort of magnetic pull of his scenes that he couldn't describe in words. That's why he made movies and he uh, was able to sort of achieve it and sustain it here. I mean, the Jocelyn Poop music is, even though he literally did say, I want, want, I want sex, sex music. music. Yeah. <laughs> that's what she came back with. It's incredible. Well, um, there, there's the later also, music that's more well, sexy sounding. Well, like, I mean, I, there is. The, I mean, anything like is more sexy waltz, sounding. Than but then you have. <laughs> what I was Which is like but, backwards Hungarian yeah, yeah. monks or whatever, but, right? But that's what that Later means. in the sequence, we have what, for my money, is one of the great needle drops in all of film, which is the introduction of the Ligeti score, or the music for the first time. It's yeah. like, dun. Dun, dun, dun. I mean, that moment is just Shit like, yeah. fuck. And that like, gets me hard. Oh my God, you cut to that wide shot and all the, I mean, and then all suddenly- All their faces, the and weird- And you can see the, in the pan across all the faces Mask. that, or not even the pan, just like the various uh, three shots that he has of them. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the image that had haunted him for so many decades. He was like, that's a movie. Like, that's something I need to explore. Who, who do you think the guy who nods at him is? Do you think it's Pollock or do you think it's someone else? I don't. I mean, it's Leon, I mean, it's Leon Vitale. Yeah, whatever. Sure, you and like, Leon Vitale. I mean, I do, every, you I see Leon Vitale around every corner. Put, I just want to put a button on this by saying that, like, I truly believe that... I, I, that performance that he gives as the Orgy Master, which was sort of incidental, they had another actor, mm -hmm. you know, he just does it, is so... Perfect. It's yes, one of those it things that yeah, holds an entire universe together. Um, the the way the theatricality of it, the menace, and such a nice um, camper for a guy who abandoned his acting career exactly. to sort of at the feet of this dude that right. he gets to sort of be this pivotal, imperious uh, king of yeah. the evil guy. I mean, every like, what's the password for the? Ha I mean, it's like every line is just burrowed into my soul. But, but like another part of Owen Gleiberman's pan that actually feels like a great encapsulation of what is powerful about this movie is when he says like. Kubrick turns sex into a ritual. Mm -hmm. And it was like, this movie was supposed to titillate us. He's failed. And it's like, no, it's that thing of you walk into a room where the most beautiful women are doing everything you ever have imagined sure, your most right. horny it's state the craziest, of craziest, yeah, yeah, sexiest And it instead scenario. just sure. reveals like, wow, sex is weird. This is like weird that we do this. This looks odd. And the campiness. No, ben doesn't the, like that and I'm with him. Yeah. Sex is great. No, High sex is great. I like having sex. I want to be very <laughs> clear. And I also but think when you look at it from an angle like please. this and you especially look at people watching well, it it's happen. It's an orgy, right. Like, yeah. But, yeah. Like also, no kink shame against orgies. No, it's sure. how no, they do this orgy that I, makes it, it feels, so scary. It feels yeah, joyless. It's it doesn't very feel joyless. like anyone's enjoying. No, not at all. But what's yeah. amazing is that it feels joyless, but also super campy by design. Yes, yes. yes. And it's but it's campy and scary, and the fact that it's able to be scary while it's campy only makes it scarier. It's performative, but in a way that's very different than the kind of performative sex we see in porn or in, in movies. In movies, yeah. right? But it's no consent. And and even because there's money involved, but like they're being drugged, like it's it's really fucking. Know, if you, if you turn drugged. up the volume, if you put closed captioning on, you keep on seeing subtitle "woman number six. I, you have my enthusiasm. This is good. Please proceed this at this is, moment. Yeah, please. Let's keep doing this. Uh, come on, you know, it's like the Pinocchio root beer moment. There's like woman twelve. You have my enthusiasm. You, you and the plague doctor mask. You, yeah. you know, get over here. God, every time I've been watching Wally with the subtitles on, and yeah. Disney Plus is always like Wally moans. And I'm yeah, like, is that the, how I would describe the atmospheric that? subtitles? Yeah. <laughs> um, with, with Wally in particular, it should all be phonetic. Yeah. They should I, never describe a Wally sound. They should be like, eh, well. I, I've, you know. I long sort of, I like to entertain the idea. Again, this is not some movie where it needs to be understood, mm -hmm. but you know, that this is just a ref. He's just having the same experience he had at the Pollock party 
as a nightmare, right? Mm-hmm. So he's watching a woman die. Yeah. He's in this weird, like, you know, place of rich people and power. Sure. And instead of, like, the refined thing he saw there with this sort of nasty incident in the bathroom, now he's seeing this, like, weird nightmare version of it, right? Uh, and, the, like, the same energy you get with, like, the bears and, like, the bear guy giving the blowjob in The Shining, Love all of shit. the goons. This movie has some of the best goons that have ever been. Mm-hmm. I mean, that guy with the, the grease back hair coming out of the back of his uh, his mask who goes up to him and he's like, your taxi is waiting. You know, like that's such but, a But you asking the question about like, is the guy who gives him the nod Pollock? It's once again, the point is he will never know. No, like, he'll he never know. He later finds can... out that Pollock was in that room, but he can't know for a fact that Pollock was the guy who nodded to him. Right. And it's as disorienting. Maybe it was Kidman. When you're walking down the street, when you're in a public space and someone gives you like a nod or a wave and you're like, I have... No idea who that is. I don't know if that was someone I don't remember. If it's someone who thought I was someone else, I will never get an answer to this. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that scene is just, it's just has such an incredible sort of super textual power to it. It's just like you, it, it has a hold on you, even if you don't always know why. And it seems silly in retrospect. As and it I, would be like for any of the people at the orgy to talk about in clear terms later on, they sound ridiculous. I but just also love that it's like his gate is wrong. This yeah, woman he, immediately she's like, like you're fucks a great danger, like, dude. You gotta get out of here. <laughs> you fuck it. And his mask is good. Credit to his mask. I think it's a great it's mask. Good. It's he's got the drip. Yeah, going. It's on point. Yeah. But uh, God, God, some of those other masks are so scary. You'd you be pissed if you showed up to the orgy in like the plague doctor mask and you had like a three foot you know, protuberation, whatever, mm-hmm. like sticking out of your face. Yeah. And you were like, oh, I'm uh, now we're gonna go have sex with this girl. And you're like, I can't. I you know. It's just sticking out of your face. Yeah, you Why didn't I just mask. go with the plastic? Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so there's this thing that does feel staged in a way where the yes. woman sacrifices herself, where it's almost like she's like, I invoke orgy law. <laughs> like, I will give myself. <laughs> I volunteer tribute. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then it's like, well, oh, she invoked it. Of course, because she is allowed, as we right. all know. The if only the, the orgy. Senate could work that clearly, right? <laughs> Jesus. Uh, you are free to go, uh, yeah. but don't come back. Um, and it does. I do like the idea that, that when he leaves, they're all like, oh, that was great. That was great. Yeah. And then we get like one of many great And then there's hard an hour cuts. of the movie to go. Well, yeah, because like, and, and you would think even the pace at which this movie's gone that we might get some business of him leaving and traveling sure. home. But the second half of the movie is defined by these really hard, mm-hmm. and in some cases like shot cuts to like time passing. He's in Where, the whereas up until yeah. this point, there's been a lot of crossfades. A lot yeah. of walking. Which, a lot of walking, but a lot of crossfades. He's been fucking Edward Burnsing it. I saw Edward Burns on the sidewalks of New York the other day. I texted you guys immediately. He looked like a snack. (laughs) Yeah, he's a handsome handsome guy. guy. It was pretty absurd. He's a handsome guy. And he's from Brooklyn. I saw a movie once called 27 Dresses. And the moral of that movie is that Edward Burns is very handsome. That's true. Don't trust him, though. As is the moral of the holiday in every other movie he was in. You were talking about how it's like this absurdly handsome guy and his career became like, I'm a schmo in his own movies. And then other people's movies, it's like, don't fall in love with this I'm a real jerk. Uh, But no, no. It was the rewatchables was did Saving Private Ryan. And they were just like, it's so weird that he was like, I'm the next Woody Allen. And then every movie he (laughs) writes and directs, he's like, I just can't get laid in this city. stuff in this city. (laughs) God, I'm so angsty. Yeah. (laughs) like, you're married to Christy Turlington. You're doing great. He went from Heather Graham to Christy Turlington. Mm-hmm. They've been married for like 20 years. He looked incredible. So the entire I went up to him and I said, Fidelio. <laughs> and he was like, get out of here. I, I get that reference. Hey, I'm walking there. <laughs> Hit a cab. 
<laughs> um, but so he gets home and it turns out that, you know, Nicole Kidman's been having a night of her own uh, and she's been having this crazy dream. We talk, yes. Right, we yeah, should, they're, they were intercutting yes. with these fantasy sequences. He's dreaming about her getting uh, Rogered. Right. By, I mean, know, it's him imagining boy. what she described imagining right by cabin so we're like it's a, a old british joke okay. <laughs> we're like we're like two degrees away from reality yeah. right it's his conception of her conception of what this hypothetical affair would have been like right. um and kubrick didn't let crews on set when they were filming right. the show famously didn't this, let him see this the is footage. the biggest part of this sort of like psychological torture quote-unquote right concept so Cruz was really scenes. caught up in the i don't know what happened on that set especially because Kubrick was like, we're going to film you in every position. Like, you are going to be involved in the process. You have final approval right, over what happens. Right. But I want to get a lot of footage of a lot of different sexual acts. And Cruz just has no ability to watch this, no oversight of this. When you think about every movie after this, he is the main producer, save for Magnolia. He is a guy who is involved in every single aspect of production. And it's like his first movie as a producer is Mission Impossible right before this. And then right. he makes two movies where he doesn't have control, and then he goes back to "I never don't have control again." Yeah, uh, must have driven him crazy. Yeah, it probably was pretty intense. Making this movie seemed pretty intense. And she was similarly in the dark with what he was filming, and uh, as as Kubrick notoriously does, a lot of the scenes would get rewritten on the day. They'd improvise. They'd rewrite based on the improvs. They'd refine the scene. I mean, the, the process of this movie was they built these sets and he would like get there in the morning and spend hours figuring out the lighting scheme with like a Polaroid camera doing tests. And then Todd Field said they filmed only at nights. So they would show up and the set was like perfectly lit to his specifications. And then they'd get there with the script pages and they'd go like, so let's figure out what we're shooting. And then it was a couple hours of, like, litigating, like, let's get rid of this, what feels more natural, this and that. And then you, once the scene has taken shape, it's like, everything's set to go. Now we're just going to do it a million times until I feel happy. But but they didn't have to be there for lighting, for blocking. You know, it was like... But there's this feeling of, like, this psychic connection between Alice and Bill and what's going on there. Like, he's yeah. enacting it in the physical world, so to speak, and she is dreaming, although it could be said that he's in a dream mm -hmm. and she is you know, somewhere else, but that, that, that they have both been having this twinned experience in a way. Right. She had this sort of dream of an orgy as well, yeah. like essentially, yeah. like, but he was witnessing it and, right. and she was laughing at it. Right. Yeah. And she's very upset about it. This is, I think, her best scene in the movie. It moment. is. It's an incredible scene. And yeah. it's kind of her last big scene in a way until she says fuck. Um, right, like, um, well, and I would, yeah. I would flip her a supporting actress. But now. she also, and like, she does more in, like, cuts and, and, like, you know, one shots where she doesn't say anything. Like when they, after he tells her the whole night later on in the movie where she's just bleary eyed, that it's just devastating. Yes. There's also right, the one time right. they cut to her early and she's like watching TV mm -hmm. and smoking. Yeah. That, that just like, one oh, glimpse yeah. of her. Yeah. Amazing. What a movie. Um, so now we're in the cold light of day. Yes. It's the truly the cold light of yeah. day. You right. go to the hotel to find Nick. Nick was checked out by some very big men. Well, so it tells us. I uh, love that he, he's like kind of. I, I just love when someone's like, I'm a detective, right? There's a mystery and I need to solve it. Sure. Yeah. But they're not drawn to it because they're being paid as a private investigator sure. and they're a cop. Mm -hmm. It's just like, it's they just, know. he has gotta to know. know. He's so gotta driven. Know. Yeah. But I like, I look, I think Alan Cumming kills. This is the guy who's like, I'm a bit naughty. I want to tell you something. There were very big men that took him out. You know, like that's sort of like, 
you know, but this level of like, is he titillated by this? Is he testing Cruz's sexuality? Right. There's a, I mean, so we now have, you know, this first random encounter with another character after that, that long night. Mm-hmm. And we're having the same sort of flicker of desire that someone's pulled to him. Yeah. But I mean, I think it's possible to see sort of like a homophobic reading of this because the reality of it now that it's sort of in the cold light of day and it's less pleasant is that it's, it's a gay man who's coming on to him sure. rather than a woman. I don't, I don't know if I necessarily believe that, but I do think that there's an element of like the the sexual interest in Bill now is starkly unwanted. Um, yeah. Which, yeah, right. Bill's you know, like, I already, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, that's more my read of it. He goes... It's a thing he's not tempted by. Yeah. He goes to give no. the cloak back, and at that point, Milich is just sort of like, yeah, I don't care what my daughter's doing. Well, the, yeah. da- the two businessmen come out, and the daughter comes out after him, and he's like, last night you were saying those guys would get arrested. You, you could mm-hmm. call the fucking cops on me. He's like, we figured things out. It's and fine. now he's don't... confronted by the horror of this guy prostituting his 15-year-old daughter. Right, because he then offers him up to cruise yeah, with me. Whereas before saying, you right. have that moment when... When he traps the two businessmen yeah, in, Cru- in the glass cage, she hides behind Cruz. Yeah, and he can kind of convince himself, like, okay, maybe this was... He can explain it away to himself. Not in but logical also, terms, but in just of, like, the feeling out the moment. But or, also, I, there's almost a, like, maybe I saved her. The fact that I woke the dad up, that right. he had to come downstairs, that he caught her, she's right, hiding right. behind me. But in fact... I'm the noble man, and now it's like, she's being served to you on a platter. But one detail I really, really love is when he goes to the diner... Uh, in a string of great diners yeah. uh, in this movie to inquire about Nick Nightingale. And the woman who works at the diner next to the Club Sonata where he plays knows where he's staying. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, what's been going on here? This uh, weird New York is a small town. Well, yeah. it's also, you know, maybe what's his relationship? Uh, yeah, yeah. pants are a small town. Hey, wait, hey, hey. Uh, it is so funny for how much this movie gets clocked with this, like, the artificial New York thing. The few establishing shots that do exist as mm-hmm. a kid who grew up of in like Park Manhattan. Right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's, like, they go to 11th and University at one point, which is very close to where I grew up and stuff. I'm right. It, thank you. It has, like, real time. Right, he goes to Grey Dog and he gets number seven. <laughs> it's like my dad trying to get the recession special. Where does he get the pound cake from? I don't know. Dean DeLuca, maybe? Yeah, Not sure. sure. But I just, I was dreaming every time. It's funny to show up to Pound Cake where a sex sex worker works. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's very He should have brought the Pound Cake to the orgy. Yeah. Heard there's some pounding going on. I mean, do you think they would have treated him differently if he brought snacks? That actually, if he was like, <laughs> what's the second bastard? I don't know, but I have this Pound Cake. Oh! <laughs> so. Go to that room. Oh, there's some really good stuff going on in there. 4 a.m. I'm high as hell. <laughs> Pass it over. Yeah, not like that idiot who brought the chassis. You know how much fucking incense I've been breathing? <laughs> I appreciate that, Griffin. Thank you. Um, no, I was just going to say, the, the like six establishing shots of real New York that do exist in this movie felt like, like really... Uh, They're jarring. No, but no, but for me, what? I was like time capsule shit where I'm like, oh, you actually in a very clean wide shot held for a few seconds, uh, have a perfect snapshot of what this block looked like exactly 23 years ago. Yeah. He yeah. goes the back. most real New York. He does what I would not do. I mm. got to be honest, which is he drives back to the orgy house. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at Ben's notes. Oh, which Ben's are, notes are yeah. very usually legible. usually Ben writes his notes on a yellow legal pad. Today it looks like the scribblings of a serial killer. <laughs> it <laughs> looks like Mister <laughs> Detective I left you all it the just, clues. He just wrote forget your notes. inquiries, which are completely useless. <laughs> keep on <them> going. <laughs> and, it's oh, give, no, up your give up your inquiries. Which I mean, are I keep underlined Fidelio and circled it forty times. Alan Cum is doing <laughs> something here. Okay. Um, 
I like I like calling him Alan Cum. The f- <laughs> the the fear the the like the, the I just think it's so impressive and scary. What's your porn name? Hand, Alan Cum. Alan Cum. Yes. To hand a typed <laughs> Richard right, Seaman. Be quiet. <laughs> you shut up. Dick. I should hand him a note. Just a typed Times New Wait, Roman. They note. had it waiting with right, his name on like, it. He's gonna yeah. fucking show <laughs> get the GTFO. Notes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Um, so scary. <laughs> yeah. Then, then he goes to see Domino. Yeah. I guess sort of doing the thing of like maybe I should have just had sex with the beautiful woman who it, offered herself to right. me. I Guinness Book of, night in of the normal, normal right? Guinness right. Book of World Record breaking time is in a sexual entanglement with her from the moment he opens the door. Yes. I mean, he is like across the precipice, and I'd say like. Three split seconds later is face to face. It's the moment where it feels like he's finally getting into this idea where it's like, does everyone want to fuck me? Am I a guy who can walk into any room and just immediately enact upon people their greatest desires? Right. And she's like, I, I look, I'm attracted to you, but you don't understand. I'm about to give you terrible news. <laughs> right. <laughs> this timing could not be worse. <laughs> right. Uh, so Domino had just learned that she's HIV positive. She's not there. Uh, Sally, her roommate, is there, played by Faye Masterson. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, then Cruz is it like he's still in the fun flirtation mode with her when she's like, trying I gotta to get tell back. you something. Yeah, and he's right. trying to like get that innocence, that sort of like joie de vivre back. And they she's... hold on this like sort of um, high angle, uh, over the shoulder shot of him getting the news, and he's grinning like a fucking doofus because he thinks she's gonna tell him something salacious. And him just being stuck there with this dumb smirk on his face like a fucking goober while she get, drops the HIV bomb. And yeah. it's like, he knows he didn't sleep with her. Right. He knows he isn't contagious, but it's this immediate, like, sliding door. But it's also this immediate of, like, like fuck, like, I really need to think about what I yes. have going with right, my life. Right, right. <laughs> like, what I need to get, like, and we also, need to go have a conversation. Just this, like, very sobering splash of reality of, yeah. uh, you know, the idea of mysterious sex partners. It's like, no, they have lives and problems and struggles, and some of those struggles are created by sex. You can't just go around and fuck people. Tom Cruise? Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not anti, like, a sex-negative no, movie, but no. it is saying that, like, you fuck around, you find out. Like, move, like things, choices that you make in life have consequences. Which was the working and title for this movie, it Fuck was, Around it and was, Find that Out. That was the title yeah. for, like, 30 years, yeah. and we just changed it to the last minute. But, the, like, the things, the choices you make have these, these like, far-reaching comp, uh, complications and consequences that you will never really be able to know, and that there are those that come from, you know, binding yourself to another person in a right. monogamous relationship. And there are those that come from uh, doing the opposite of these that. These people exist beyond just being objects of your desire. These, these signposts of temptation, whether you give in to them or not. Yes. And then, of course, the last thing before he goes to see Ziegler is that he finds Mandy's body. Yep. Uh, Mandy, the, the um, person from mm-hmm. the bathroom at the start of the movie. Uh, and so then he goes to see Ziegler, and it's it it's this is really my favorite scene. Was, oh, wait, what table. about the walking in the piano when he's getting yeah when he's getting followed? Yeah. It's pretty good, dude. Dun, dun, dude, dun. if if I was walking by myself <laughs> and you heard and that I piano, heard that piano, I would <laughs> shit my fucking. Yorkie Leggetti is standing behind you on a little piano. If they're only <laughs> playing ground notes. Yeah, truly. Um, yeah. yeah, and there's uh, uh, what was I gonna say? The the morgue, right? And there's that moment where he like leans in to kiss her maybe yeah like and he stops himself but it's this like really in dialogue with the reality or lack thereof in the situation like he's trying to force himself into feeling a realness that didn't come through to him when he saw that she had died in the paper 
And like there's, right. a, it's really. Well, the um, double header with hearing the domino thing yeah. where it's like, he doesn't even hear that from her. She immediately becomes an abstraction to him. He knows he's probably never going to see her again. Right. Now this other woman is dead. He can never speak to her again. You know? And I just like, I love the cutaway to the morgue worker who's just like looking down at the floor being just like, I don't Right. But like, he needs Ziegler to tell him not to worry about it, right? Yeah. Like, that's what I love about this scene so much. Is he he's needs angry, to be relieved of this. And he wants answers, and he's fucked up. But he also, he kind of wants Ziegler to be like, look, the, the, what, that line where he's like, uh, her door was locked from the inside, cops said suicide. And you're like, oh, wow, you really know the specifics of this case. <laughs> yeah. Like, she died uh, like eight minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck? Uh, but She's like, a junkie, you know. You saw me injecting shit into her and then fucking her brains out. <laughs> Podcasting her brains. It's so snowball. He's so scary and effective in this scene. Him like um, you know, playing with the pool table. We're fucking Sydney Pollock just explains to you how it is. Yes. It's just one of the greatest special effects in the last 40 years of of the creepiest things is like he's playing pool by himself and he's just like Tom Cruise, like, I'll just watch. And it's like these two adult men. Uh, of like vast power, one of them in particular, are just like, watch me play this. He's also like, do you myself. play? And he's like, no, not really. This rich person thing of like, I guess around. I just need to have a billiards table. Right, I guess I've got so many damn rooms. Why right. should be a billiards room? Just yeah. like Mr. Body from Clue. I gotta be better than Mr. Body. Mm. Um, they should call City Pollock Mr. Body. They should have called him. Well, he's got, he's got one. I do, I do just watch this and I'm like, can I just like jump forward 20 years? You're really desperate to get that polished <laughs> barrel. Actor, yeah. It's not yeah. a guarantee, As an actor, though. I don't want to be fucking 33. Like, I'm not I want to be 55. I'm not taking for pie. granted that I'm just going to age magically into that that bearish body that he's got. I'm going to have to work for it. You're going to have to work for it. That's the thing, and it's like, it's, it's like, hard work Pollock probably I don't like, want to go through. played a lot of golf, right? You know, I feel like he was one of those guys who did kind of like rich guy Yeah, maybe activities. he had really strong forearms. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. This scene, the, the energy of this scene, the rhythms of this scene, it's like there is that sort of magic to it where it's, it feels like a piece of music and it's mm. just yeah. it all flows so beautifully and you remember like you would a great song like every line from it it sort of bonds to your memory in a way that yeah he's just don't. he's incredible it's it's so inscrutable because it does feel like he's shifting between like you need to believe me i'm actually giving you the truth now mm-hmm. and sometimes emphatically explain something to him that he knows is what cruz wants to hear so right. that he doesn't just have to, to worry it. about this anymore. Exactly. Just Sometimes to get it, it out of absolutely feels like Pollock knows this is bullshit and knows that he knows it's bullshit, but now I've given you the the ability to deny it. Because he's, he's saying, like, it was a charade, and also she just went and died of an overdose right. minutes later. Like, and it's just sort of like, moments, am I supposed to buy that? I believe him. And that's the thing. He's such an effective actor. Right. Well, yeah, because like, he wants yeah. to do the same thing that Bill was doing in his own way, in yeah. less violent terms earlier in the movie, which is be the hero, mm. be, like, the person who's pulling him up, saying, like, it's okay, I'm saving you, and also, you know, exert power over him and say, yes. you know, I'm scaring the shit out of you at the same time. Uh, and Nick is fine. But that's the thing. He's also like, he's like, Nick is fine, he's that prick. Listening. Yeah. But then he's also like, you don't understand how scary these people are. Right. And so I get, I'm, what am I supposed to walk out of there thinking? Like, oh yeah, like they're the scariest people on earth. But if you betray them, like no big deal. They'll rough <laughs> you up a little bit maybe. And so when he gets home and he sees the mask on the pillow and he starts crying for his fucking, you know. Right, because Rachel Bezos so charged cathartic. him extra for the missing. He sure mask. did because twenty five dollars is pretty good price. I, I yeah, it's a nice mask. Every time that mask fucking look great. I know that's an ornate mask. Yeah, yeah. but you know it probably fell off the back of a truck, a Venetian mask truck. <laughs> um, knowing that guy, uh, 
why is the mask there? Like, it doesn't matter. Like, mm-hmm. it's just this sort of like perfect, you yeah. know, like you don't, yeah, moment you don't really of awareness think about her, like, and shame. Digging around the apartment and like looking for what's well, this, you know, <laughs> you know, like looking for stuff for Christmas. It doesn't matter. But him crying is just so cathartic. And like, what could she, what would you infer if you came home and saw a, a mask? you know, on your partner's, or you like, you know, you found that mask in your partner's space, in your apartment. Like, what would you... I would what? have some very excited questions. Like, Tell me all about it. What <laughs> did me, you do? You'd be like Griffin when there? his parents came home from a movie when he was a kid. Like, Tell me everything. <laughs> yeah. um, it truly, I, w- I would remember if they'd go out for a movie night and it was like, I'm supposed to be in bed at this point. The movie's long. I would stay awake just so I could get the 15-minute rundown of what's your feeling on Titanic? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. But that that's not Nicole Kidman's vibe in this scene, I would say. She no. was uh <laughs> she's she has questions, she has concerns. Um, but there is I love that that cut so much when she goes, just tell me everything. And then it's like a hard cut uh to her face, like completely bloodshot. Yeah. Uh, having been up all night, yeah. waiting for their daughter to wake up and be like, What is happening? It is a funny Her daughter, by the way, their daughter blissfully oblivious. I was gonna say it's funny how her. much of a non-presence she is in this movie, but you also have to imagine logistically, much like the AI thing, they he had was to do like, it early. Right. We have yeah. to do it early and we we gotta just get a couple things with the daughter because right. this, this daughter kid, can't be 13 years old all of right. a sudden. She graduated from college <laughs> right. by the time they were finished filming. Um they go to FAO Schwartz. Right, which is, what's the name of this? Hemmings? Uh, It's uh, no Hanley's. Hanley's, sorry. Yeah, isn't it Hanley's? I think it's Hanley's, yeah. But but doubling for F.E.O. Schwartz. I love that there were Spice Girl dolls in the back. Hamley's. Sorry, I did go. Hamley's is the British F.E.O. Schwartz. I'm sure it's awful now, but like when I was a kid, right, I remember my dad being like, let's go, it's the most famous toy store in Britain. Yeah, right. And obviously F.E.O. Schwartz doesn't exist in the form it did back then, but it's a place that is very distinctive iconographic has been used in movies course, like big, big. Yeah. you know that this doesn't look anything no like it FBO looks Schwartz. like i've been yeah you're right there, um, there are the spice girl dolls in the background which i love because it's one of the only things that stamps this movie to specific period in right, time right, culturally right. when they're having the pot fight and she gets up and starts like yelling at him on the bookcase behind her there's like her stereo Fancy system novelization but they're also like six VHS tapes, and I was scrubbing through it trying to make out. But you couldn't? I couldn't, and I was like, I can tell it's a fucking Paramount. I can see the typeface. I almost thought one of them was Rain Man, and I was like, is he putting a Cruise movie in there by accident on purpose? But I, could, I couldn't make out what they were. 2001 soundtrack in yes. uh, in Clark Clark Clark. Yeah. yeah. I just love the Spice Girls thing is the one concrete yeah. thing where you're like, this is where they stay in a relationship. He knew they were going to last forever. He did. He was like, these guys are never breaking up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Just like Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. Right. Yeah. And all, all the orgy rooms were actually named. It was there's the ginger room, the, space the baby. Room. Well, no, the baby room. <laughs> oh, that's distressing. David. All right. Uh, um, well, it's weird that there's baby spice. <laughs> yes. Okay. Let's be honest. Yeah. That was weird. And everyone seemed to sort of just doesn't fucking doesn't not act think about like it. a baby. Well, that's why it was weird. Yeah. It was like, what am I supposed to take away from this? Yeah. Um, anyway. He apologizes. He's told her everything at this point, sure. we're assuming. I mean, he says he's gonna tell her everything. Right. It would be great if there was actually a scene where he was like, and then there was this Slovenian guy. <laughs> trying to sell me a cloak. She um, smokes another joint. She's, she's like, like, dude, this is crazy. Yeah. This movie you, ha- you did this all in Wait, one night. Bellariform is the what form of chimera? <laughs> um, you ripped a hundred dollar bill, you asshole. And that's the one part she was really disgusted. <laughs> yeah, I thought like, we come on, you just give him the hundred. Did you give him tape? So he had to then go home, buy tape, retape it himself. <laughs> I didn't have any tape on me. I only had hundreds. Um, that's and of what course, the sequel should pick up on. 
the cabin guy. with that yeah. guy. Yeah. No, the sequel should end. It, the, the last shot of the credit post credit should be like airplane where he's like, I'm going to give this guy 10 more minutes. <laughs> right? That would be funny. <laughs> there should be a post credit. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like when well, he goes back to the cabbie after he leaves the orgy and the cabbie's like, so how was it? <laughs> yeah, right. What are they doing? Um, there's something I need to do as soon as possible. What's that fuck? Yeah, one of the and great the cut to black. final which lines. is shot, yeah. which I, a detail I love so much is that it's one of the only scenes in the movie and one of the rare scenes in Kubrick's filmography that he shoots just very standard over the shoulder coverage. Mm. And it's sort of this return to normalcy in a way of right. like a back to, uh, a, you know, a happy upper class marriage, um, you know, without any funny business going on. But I on. also feel like this movie has more organic compositions than Kubrick had been trending, mm. right? You look at, like, I mean, Full Metal Jacket right before this, and it's, like, everything is so perfectly composed and symmetrical and tight and sharp and clean. And it's, like, this movie is fuzzier. It's looser. You know, he briefly considered using the Barry Lyndon lenses for this because he knew he wanted to have a similar lighting scheme. the warm glow. And it was partially that, like, uh, film speeds had increased so much that the lenses weren't appropriate anymore. But the other thing was he was, like, I want to have camera movements. I want to be looser in this. I don't want to have to be, like, constrained by these technical limitations. Um, I I remember a film teacher saying to me at a time where I still thought, oh, the line on this movie is that it sucks and anyone who thinks it's good is an idiot because I was an idiot. Um, Her saying like, I don't really like Kubrick because I find his stuff too hermetic and controlled. You know, the obvious Kubrick complaint that people throw out. And she's like, the one I like is Eyes Wide Shut because it's the only one of his movies that doesn't just feel like a series of photographs to me. Mm -hmm. And I've always thought about that where it does feel like his most sort of organic movie since The Killing. Hmm. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I can see that. I also just want to say that my read on the end of the movie is not that it's a return to normal necessarily. I mean, there's like a feeling of destruction, a feeling of renewal. Yeah. Oh, it yeah. reminds me a lot, like the more recent uh, analog I think of is the ending of Before Midnight of like a, we are coming to grips about yes. what it means to be together as a couple. Right. Um, and the ins and outs of that, the fact that desire exists in marriage and outside of marriage mm-hmm. and this idea that like, you know, we are still being people, but we are going to sort of choose to forge ahead um, knowing the perils involved. I mean, well, like the, like any successful marriage is essentially like six or seven different marriages. When people right. stay married for decades, yeah, it they talk about that. They're like, every right. seven years, the whole structure of the relationship changes. And, you know, if you're lucky... When you both change, you find a new way to be simpatical in your current But it's forms. also a film sort of about how the mist, when you are just with one person for yeah. the rest of your adult life, every small corner of darkness, every shadow is magnified so large. Every mysterious element that you discover and would have assumed didn't exist because right. you knew your partner inside and out is suddenly like a cataclysmic urgency. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that is sort of the void that he gets trapped you, in. Wait, you think people can pick up on that? Stuff <laughs> Not, <laughs> over time, like you're safe, stuff you're safe. Don't worry, comes out. Oh. <laughs> that, that bones hat is pulling all the attention. Perfect. No, no one's looking at your eyes. Uh, I chart five out of five, a plus six That's out of five. My final take, yeah. I, I don't know if it's my favorite or Barry Lyndon is my favorite. I, I'm, I'm giving this. Well, edge. you've got you've it's got seniority for you as well. If Barry, it does, you, I mean, you're who knows to if Barry. Barry Lyndon will unfold for me in. in further viewings in a different way but this it's it's what you said earlier like it's that thing uh that is so rare where you find a movie that it feels like every time you come to it you find new things in it yes. both because you've changed and there are so many different prisms at which to view the thing uh it, it's kind of that's that tier of like 
the greatest films are the ones in which it will mean something different to you anytime you watch it, based on what mood you're in, where you are in your life, all that and sort of stuff. Like it explains to you, back to you, sort of where you are in your life and yeah. you've become. Yeah. Um, and that is, I think, an added value, like a utilitarian value. Yeah. Almost. It's just like it, it remembers for you who you are and who you were and who you've been. It's fascinating for that. It's an incredible film. A stat I will remember forever is that 1999, obviously, this uh, historic year for American film, right? This sort of, uh, not last gasp, it's but a big this old big year. tour yeah, yeah, yeah. year where movies were at the center of the cultural discourse and everything. But 99, a particularly big blockbuster summer, right? It was a summer with, like, just beloved populist favorites. Um, and even things like Phantom Menace that were, you know, uh, complicated. Massive, massive success, obviously. The stat I remember was that summer was so successful. Eyes Wide Shut was only one of two movies to open between May and August mm. that opened at number one and didn't hit $100 million. Like final gross, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Every other film that opened to number one was like soaring to success. It sank quite quickly. Can you name the other one? What's the other one? The Haunting. The two Todd Field Bad movies. Movie. Yeah. yeah. But, but it's, it spoke in both cases. There was like hype, great movie. trailer. People saw it, disappointed, don't go see And it. similar quality movies with similar care. <laughs> and and the movies had longer legs back then. No, they did. But, but also, like, we're, so a lot of the movies we're talking about are Blair Witch, Runaway Bride, Sixth well, Sense, well, okay, Phantom Menace. Okay, 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 let's okay. play the box office game. Okay. July 16th, 1999. Yeah. Eyes Wide Shut number one, $21 million. I mean, not nothing. No, and once again, sold on nothing other than but it is what the cruise. fuck is this movie. But it is cruise. The two biggest movie stars, this elusive master filmmaker who's dead. Yeah. And no, what I did mean, he leave there's behind? There's a lot of hype. Very yeah. elu The ultimate elusiveness. Just a true mystery box movie. Uh, yeah, opening at $21 million, uh, very healthy, insane to imagine a movie like this having... This a level of million, a twenty-one it's, million. I mean, don't today, worry, darling. Yes. Is kind of it is the analog. It is, it is, the it is where you're just like everyone's just so obsessed by the idea of what happened with this fucking movie. What is this fucking thing? And I imagine that movie will also drop off in a similar. I mean, way. there there was initially at the, the like eight news cycles of "Don't worry, darling" nonsense ago. There was a lot of talk about the sex in that movie. And yeah, the, it it it, it is well, kind of the only analog, just not an analog. Number in terms of two, speaking of sex, is a sexy comedy. Do you think Stanley was like jealous of Will Smith having Big Willie weekend and was like, I'm going to have Big, Big Stanley weekend? weekend. Yes. July 16th is Big Stanley weekend. Yes, absolutely. I will hold claim on this. I will release Big one Big new film every 17 years. <laughs> right. He did famously refer to himself as Big Stanley. Big uh, Stan. What number two? Sexy, it's a sexy comedy. comedy. American Pie? Directed by a friend of ours. It's American Pie. In its second week, Classic. Jim's dad wiggling those eyebrows. Absolutely. Uh, it's only yeah, dropped. Jim, yeah, see this uh, eyes wide shut picture? <laughs> Jim's dad was at the but, orgy. Fam, you know, Jim's dad was at, You could see <laughs> his eyebrows, see eyebrows. over the mask. <laughs> oh, boy. Back in my day. Uh, Dropping only 28% in its second week. Uh, it's Another a huge example, hit. Though, this is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. these, these movies, in 99, they played. They stayed in theaters. They were word of mouth hits. Number they three uh -huh. is... Less of a word of mouth hit, but it was a mo modest hit of mm -hmm. the time. It's new this week. It's a horror comedy. It's a horror uh, comedy. Idle Hands? No, no that, was, that was a bomb. No, no, no. <laughs> that was, that 1999. It's a horror comedy. Huh. Uh, what kind of, what kind of, what kind of, you know what? I'm going to, I don't think I've done this before. I'm going to ask for the box office game hint. The thing I find most useful doing the box office game online. What studio released it? The studio is 20th Century. Box. Dun, 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 it's not ravenous. No. 
No, what? Ravenous made like negative four dollars. Yeah, these are the great horror comedies of nineteen ninety nine. That thing was released in like a sewer on Venus. <laughs> it's new this weekend, July horror comedy nineteen ninety. Nice. I can give you a further elaboration on its genre. Is it like a Kevin Williamson adjacent no. post scream thing? No. Give me a further it's elaboration. It's a creature film. Oh, is it Lake Placid? Lake there Placid. We there we go. There we go. Bill Pullman, Bridget Fonda, Bridget Oliver Fonda. Platt, yeah. aka The Big Three. Yes. Uh, David E. Kelly's it's script. That, it's I a big crock. Forget that it's as much of a comedy as it is. It is. It is a comedy. It though. is. I mean, it's a, you know. No, it is. Yeah. It is. Um, and it was sort of like a mild hit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is Deep Blue Sea the same yep, summer? Yep. That's August. Uh, yeah. What a uh, And that summer. is, that movie was congressionally mandated to be released in August. No movie <laughs> has ever been more no. released in August than Deep but Blue Sea. But that's C. the thing. They Deep made Blue the shark's sea brains like, bigger uh, right. and they got smarter. They were like, we need every high school lifeguard who's fully cooked his brain on pot for two months before right. he sees Deep Blue Sea. Deep Blue Sea is one of those movies where you're like, how much are they in on the joke or not? Right. And Lake Placid, you're like, I'm surprised there are this many jokes. <laughs> yes, in this it. is heavy on jokes. Yeah. Right. Ellen Skarsgård's death scene in Deep Blue Sea is just there's, why there's a lot of good death scenes. Yeah. LL Cool J put a song out. Yeah. Deepest Bluest. My head is like a shark's my fin. My head is like a shark's yeah. fin. Has I've I've forgotten a lot of stuff in my life. Talk about cooking your brain with weed. <laughs> but I You just pointed to Sims. Remember, <laughs> my head is like a shark's fin. I think about it once a year. It's yeah. the most insane lyric that's ever been written down and then turned into a song. Talk about things you probably forgot. Uh, in your life, Ben. Yeah. Uh, someone dug up, uh, you know, this will happen where people will listen to old episodes of the show and then post on social media like, I listened to this episode from five years ago. The boys predicted this thing. Uh-huh. In our Mrs. Peregrine episode, <laughs> you were talking about how much you liked the character that was the girl with the secret mouth in the back of her head. Yeah. And you were like, they should have done more with her. It should have its own personality and should be nasty like a venom. Yeah. You essentially pitched malignant five you, years ago. You malignant. <laughs> Malignanted. Well, I mean, should I try and get paid for Absolutely. that? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Hit up James Wan. Yeah. All right. All right. Number four, the spoilers for malignant. HBO Max famously happy to just spread. Money Num- they right. love paying out. <laughs> yeah, they love it. Number four, the box office is a straight up comedy with a movie star. Movie star comedy. It's a movie star. It's not been out for Bride. a month. No. Oh, okay. So it's a June. It's a June comedy with What'd a major movie Finger? star. No, no, that's August. It's is made it, 134 million dollars. Is it Notting Hill? No. No. Notting Hill has made 107 and has been out for two months. Okay. It's not a Carrie. It's not a Williams. No. Uh, is it? It's a is. You said it's a major star, but it's a major comedy star. Yes. Mm, is it Eddie? No. It's not Eddie. It's not a Robin. It's mm. like a shark. It's fin. not a Carrie. No one. Ellen like Cool J is not in this film. Then major star. Oh, there- oh, oh. Is it Austin Powers' The Spy Who Shagged Me? No. Fuck. That's number 11. Mm. A movie that at the time had the second highest grossing opening weekend of all time. Yes. Sure. That's number seven. Okay. Number two. Number 11. Number, this movie is number what at the box office? Four. It's been out for a month. Yes. It's up to 130. Yep. Its total gross is 163. Oh, it's Big Daddy. Big Daddy. Big Daddy. Uh, with Adam Sandler. Uh, uh, that movie got the John Stewart bump. Yes. Good Much like the faculty. Uh, yeah, kind of a... Sw- I just remember being so fucking treacly at the end. But yeah, that's sort of the Sandler thing. Works for me. Yeah. I think it's a good balance of it. I, sh- I haven't seen it in a long time. You've also talked about, I mean, since becoming a, a father, not having rewatched it, but He's how much... a big daddy. But since becoming... You are a big daddy. Yeah. One, one must admit. I, I won't lie. I look at the size of this lad. No, I feel like you've talked about since becoming a parent without having rewatched the movie... 
how much the McDonald's scene the McDonald's scene it's immediately what I thought of again this is horse shit right and then he starts crying because it's like yeah I think about that a lot but and now, it, of course, you can get breakfast all day at McDonald's, so the scene is irrelevant. The setup to that yeah. scene is like they Our miss it. Will never they miss it by like, like 10 McDonald's. minutes or something. Less, right? and it's like he stops to tie his shoes a couple times. Yeah. He has to pee, and then he wants to give money to uh, yeah, Buscemi, his crazy eyes. So it's like there are all these windows where yeah. he almost makes it, and he just cannot fucking deal with letting this kid down. Yeah. Good movie. Uh, sure. Number five of the box office is kind of a famous flop, but it still has made 94 on its way to 113. It's an it's action film. It's Wild Wild West. It's Wild Wild West. Big Willy Weekend. Uh, because the Big Willy Weekend had recently happened. A movie I was so excited oh. for. And oh. when I saw it, I was like, hmm, I guess I don't like everything. And just one of those movies <laughs> also, like, where like, truly from scene one, you're like, vibes are off. Mm, it yeah, starts about yeah. as bad as it ever gets. But yeah. Kenneth Branagh gives a really reserved and uh, nuanced true. performance. Great performance. It, rooted in the history and culture of the American South. <laughs> it was confusing because I remember being in the theater and going like, did they accidentally switch to a reel of a documentary? Are we watching a Wiseman film suddenly? This is coming, yeah, it's Ken Burns. Yeah. I got in the editing room and put a spin His on it. His name's Dr. Loveless because he has no penis. He's, he's got and no so everything he builds <laughs> yeah. overcompensates. He drives a giant mechanical spider. A, he's got the giant pneumatic yes, <laughs> pumping thing. Yes, he does. <laughs> Number six, just to give you some other ones, uh, new this week is Rick Femi yeah, The Wood. Oh, good movie. Uh, which is yeah. a pretty good movie. Um, Maybe you might make another movie challenge. I know. I know. Spins Remember, he's going to do The Flash for he a second? He was going to do Flash. It felt like, right. Dope's now he's pretty good. in the fucking Star Wars TV yeah, rotation. Which he does actually a pretty good His job. His episodes on those are episodes. good. I'm yeah. just like, I want him to make a movie. He's Number a seven, Tarzan. Yeah, fine, Phil. I think that movie's good. I haven't seen it since theaters. Number eight is. I didn't see Tarzan because I was just like, I'm seeing Eyes Wide Shut now. Like, the Tarzan days are over. I I I went and saw Tarzan and was like, I feel like I'm ready to watch Eyes Wide Shut. Me too. Even as a baby, I was just a baby who likes dumb baby shit. I was like, "Mm." number eight is a little film called Star Wars Episode One The Phantom Menace. Mm. Number nine is. Weird that they never made a sequel to that considering how big of a hit it was. Number nine is the. Um, a genre of movie from the 90s, hmm. you know, like Eyes Wide Shut, yeah. Double, you know, the nasty sort of crime thriller. Uh, the General's huh. Daughter is the movie. Oh, One oh, of those movies yeah. where it's like, Travolta. this is like just kind of 20% nastier than yes. it could be 10 years right. ago. Also, that movie is nastier than it needs to be. I mean, it's like it is. A really it's just a little too nasty. Violent, but ugly a movie, movie that about rape. But one hundred million dollars. This million. is the ninety-nine was just like everything. And was this is hitting. the thing: it's number nine, yeah. and it's made eighty-seven. It's going to get to one hundred and two. Yeah, it's just going to fucking churn these away. These movies like legged it out for four months, yeah. and you're seeing so many fil- like none of these films are cannibalizing each other. Number ten, new this week: Muppets from Space. Horrible opening. Yeah. It's opening below the fifth weekend of The General's Daughter. People get like, mad at me for saying this. Bad. A bad film. I yeah, think no, a bad it's film is the only Muppet movie I don't like. The only other interesting thing about this box office is that new this week on 27 screens making $1.5 million. Blair Witch the Blair Witch yeah. Project. Holy yeah. shit. Holy shit. Wow. I was yeah. about to get real obsessed with that movie. That movie fucking rules. Uh, um, sort of the opposite of a blank check movie, but and we would never do those careers. But maybe we but could. We do, should just do it. We could do the Blair Witch trilogy on Patreon. That would yes. be fun to do. As what a Patreon, weird. You guys yes. could recreate the Blair Witch project. I wonder what it would oh, be the like. Bits. The blank the check bits. project. If we, I actually might. I might just be facing too scared a corner. of that. Yeah. If, like if like we went in the woods and Ben was like whatever making weird noises outside the tent. You know how the whole thing with that movie was like they made this for only forty thousand dollars. Right. What if we get ourselves the opposite challenge? We have to figure out a way to make our episode expensive enough that it costs forty thousand dollars. <laughs> um. The only thing left to do is rank 
Stanley Kubrick, and then I really have to go. And we also I, have to I finally out what we're followed Avatar. the. Oh yeah, we got to make Avatar plans. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're gonna be talking Tar soon. Uh, Are you guys going back to Pandora? Well, I guess at this point it will have already. It will have already happened. We're gonna be on the big picture to talk Avatar, so we yeah. we want to go see it. Yeah. Before we do, we that. gotta we gotta go back to Pandora. I'm trying to convince David to go see it in 4DX. We can. I think we can do that. It's just yes. we, well, it's just Fucking we have to yes. do it in the daytime. That's all. Okay, Evening we'll do it. We'll back. make the plan. Yeah. We'll make the plans right after. We're gonna this. do it right after this. I have yeah. 40x passes burning a hole in my wallet. I don't even know what that means, but okay. Just man, when I saw Hobbs and Shaw, the spritzer wasn't working. Uh, okay, I'm gonna give you my Kubrick. I finally did the thing I should have been doing this entire time, where I've been keeping you did the, the fucking letterbox list. list and updating oh, after okay. every episode. All right. So I have a proper list that I'm not making up on the fly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do yours first. Then. You want Go me to do first? Yeah. Why not? Number thirteen, Fear and Desire. Although I do agree with the the sort of uh, context, I think we did not give it in the episode that Alex Ross Perry put in her head, where it's like it is important for that film to exist to humanize him, sure. to make his other accomplishments more impressive, because it's not like this guy was just touched with genius and knew how to make movies better than everyone else. Ben, did we get to three hours? Yeah, we're over three hours for Hell fuck's yeah. sake. Jesus Number twelve, Christ. Lolita. Yes. Number eleven, Killer's Kiss. Number 10, Spartacus. We have the same bottom four. Okay. Now here's where we're going to deviate. Okay. Number nine, Dr. Strange Lover, How I Learned to Stop Worrying. Wow, you have it at nine. I just don't love that movie. Wow. It's not one of my things. Okay. Number, Number eight, eight, The Killing. Me too. Number seven, Full Metal Jacket. Okay. Number six, Clockwork Orange. Mm-hmm. Number five, Paths of Glory. Number four, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Number three, The Shining. Number two, Barry Lyndon. Number one, Dark Man. Uh, sorry, Eyes Wide Shut. We have very similar lists. Yeah, I imagine just. Uh, I'll do mine top to bottom. Just jacket. Exactly. Li- but really, yeah. I'm one Barry Lyndon. Yeah. Two Eyes Wide Shut. Three 2001. Four The Shining. So yeah. we have the same That's top the four. Top in a, right. I agree. Yeah. Five Doctor Strange Love. Yeah. Six Paths of Glory. Seven Clockwork Orange. Eight The Killing. Nine Full Metal Jacket. Ten Spartacus. 11 Killer's Kiss, 12 Lolita, right. 13 Killing disrespect. Pretty good to put it below Clockwork Orange. What are you talking about? Yeah, I put it above Doctor Strange. It's a great movie. I think it killing, rules. killing rules. Yeah. Uh, dare it's, I? Yeah, it's great. Right. I'm not beefing with the, the killer. The bottom three. It's a Stanley Kubrick right. list. I'm not putting it like below fucking Dennis Dugan's movies. I mm. like that Barry's at your top. Yeah. That's the, that's that, for me. This miniseries, I I got to discover that fucking movie. Discovered it's like one of my Irish new liar favorite <laughs> movies of all time. Yeah. I'm gonna dress up like fucking Barry for Halloween. You should. Yeah. Every Try year. Hat. Yeah. yeah. Uh, hell yeah, Ben. Thank you. Um, I'm but, sure uh, we we talked about it extensively in that episode, which is the one we haven't recorded yet. But the experience of getting to watch Ben watch Barry Lyndon was my movie-going experience of the decade. That rules. I wish I'd been there. I don't even think I care about my Stanley Kubrick list, so I'll just say I Eyes do. Wide Shut is number one. The end. Great. Well, what do you got? I mean, Come on. The rest is all nonsense. doesn't matter. I have, like, okay. Eyes, 2001, Shining, Barry Lyndon, The Killing, Strange Love, Paz Glory, Full yeah. Metal Jacket, Clark Orange, Lolita, Killer's Kiss, mm-hmm. Sporadicus, Fear and Desire. Wow. Sporadicus below Killer's Kiss? Nah. Olivier's in that young, thing. He was trying. Sure. Spartacus doesn't do much for him. Back I, I mean, that's really, not my genre. It's really arbitrary to yeah. me after. Yeah. Know, All right. Eyes. We're done, but we should announce yes. our next. And we're done with Stan the Man Kubrick, although we're not quite done because we do have to do Barry Lyndon. So it doesn't feel totally <laughs> Your over. Your time. But Ryan, in, you in, listening to this. It, for us, we have yes. we are done Lyndon's on this. Lyndon's the one we haven't done for schedule. Slightly exhausting, but in sort of increasingly rewarding journey, I would say. Yeah. I Look, I certainly feel like... Uh, I, I came to a very different place in my relationship to Stanley 
and his movies than I did going into this. Where I wasn't dreading doing this, but I was very open about the fact that he's like not one of my guys. And I think we've talked about this, but the episode's recorded wildly out of order. Uh, if it feels like the arc of my relationship to him is changing in a backwards and forwards way, it's for that reason. But I, I feel like I have a much greater appreciation of him, especially with a lot of help to JJ truly helping to demystify a lot of the sort of mythology around him that I always found very exhausting. True. Shout out JJ. Yeah. And now you guys are finally entering the Hong Sang universe. No. Oh my God, imagine. We Soon, that. we will. <laughs> I really love that one slow Zoom, to be clear. I love yeah. Hong Sang Zoom. Uh, no, actually, next week we are talking Fablemans. Yes. That's going to be our palate cleanser in between miniseries. It's uh, arriving right at the right time. We have two palate cleansers? Or Just the one, okay. because Avatar is Oh, at the end sure, of the on the other side of it, right. Um, but then after Fablemans, we're going to talk about the career of a great animator who has a new movie coming out. And we've long wanted to do him, and now it's time to do him, right? Kind of the Stanley Kubrick of animation that it's been... It's taken him a long time. 13 years since 13 his last years. film? Yes. His Henry last Selleck. film made an unqualified triumph? Yeah, you know. Yeah, he made the uh, Coraline. We're doing Selleck. Uh, the reason we didn't do uh, Nightmare Before Christmas four years ago is because we were waiting for this. Yes. Yeah. Henry Selleck, five films. Five? Five. Yes. Yes. Nightmare, James, Monkey Bone, Coraline, Wendell. They won't let me, like, they don't like the idea of recording Nightmare in a hot topic. <laughs> no, but I do want to record <laughs> it in a giant graveyard in a uh, inside a giant so peach. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and then, of course, uh, yeah, no, uh, Wendell and Wild, which is uh, probably about to drop on Netflix right now-ish in no, mid-November. No, it's I think it'll all Okay, so it's already out. on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. So in celebration of that, we're doing Selleck. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And then we're going to do something finally else. Finally a new film, uh, giving you Nightmare Before Christmas in the quarter between Halloween and Christmas. Mm -hmm. um, it'll be fun. We're doing someone else. But yes, with a couple interruptions, Fablemans and Avatar. Fablemans before Avatar in the middle. Correct. And then, yeah, yeah you know, next year we're going to have, you know, Knock at the Cabin. Uh, we're going to have a, you want to do Mission Impossible on the main feed, it looks like. we've covered all the McQuarrie's. I think we have to. Yeah. Well, we don't have to, but I, so I'm, I'm with it. I think we have to. We've got Oppenheimer. Yes. We've got Aquaman 2. Uh, we might hear from the maestro. Uh, we we might, might ride in the Ferrari. Get, I think that might be 2024. It's filming right now. It, it is. It depends how it's long true. it takes to edit. It's yeah. uh, messed up that you guys aren't going to be going onto the high seas with Napoleon because you've never done Ridley Scott. That feels don't, like something that would be so up your alley. Him. But isn't that maybe now coming out I this year? I think a lot of eyebrows. No, coming out next year. Okay. I think. Right. No, they, that is that was not going to happen. It, it could because Ridley Scott does not waste any time. Right. Ridley Scott just filmed Napoleon too while we had this conversation. <laughs> yeah. uh, ben, just quick question: Have you been monkey boned before? Uh, yeah. I'm glad we're doing yeah. that right during this Fraser sans too. Fraser I know. Sons. Fraser. I know. Is that going to be the first uh, Harry Knowles cameo that you guys have discussed? Like, honestly, I actually don't think it is. I think we've done one <laughs> other movie with him, <laughs> yeah, but haven't probably. we? I don't know. Yeah, uh, he's in Killer's Kiss. Right? I, have a, I have an announcement. Okay. This is episode 401. Oh, Wild. that's true. We forgot to acknowledge this on the Full Metal Jacket episode because <laughs> we didn't. No. Oh. Uh, but yeah, that was the 400th episode. In honor this of is 401. Uh, uh, Eyes Wide Shut filming for 400 days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this <laughs> podcast recording for 400 minutes. What? We were just talking before we started recording mm -hmm. uh, about how uh, we used to record this podcast in a closet. Yeah, sure did. Yes. And now we're recording in our own office. And I just wanted to say it's been fun. And uh, yes, so it's too been fun. Thing, right? <laughs> 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 well, the getting's good. Uh, this office rules. But no, we'll, keep, we'll keep doing the show. Nice. We got the next. Uh, we got the first half of 2023 mapped out already. And it's a, I, I think it's a we corker. sure do for our sins, and it is a corker. I'll say this: it's a, a thing we often do, where uh, you know, post 
uh, March Madness winner when we kickstart a new year, Dave and I often come to the table and go, you pick one, I pick one. We both knock a long, dreamed-upon movie uh, miniseries off of our list, right? Yeah. So there's, wearing robes. There's a guy there is. pounding his staff There's a on David the pick and a Griffin pick, and they're two, I think, long-promised filmmakers on this show. I don't think. I know. You know? And uh, so we'll reveal that later. But um, that's it. We're done. Tune next week Bye, for Stan. The Fablemans. Fucking great movie. I can't wait to watch it. David doesn't quite no, like, it, like I, it as much I, as I do. I mean, but he it's likes like it. it as much as you do. I don't know, but it's it's good. Shit. It's a keeper. It's a, it's the thing we didn't get to talk about that much in this episode of uh, Jewish filmmakers who still don't really want to put their Jewishness on screen. The self loathing is completely baked in. in he puts it on screen in the Fablemans, but it's interesting. What More than most, it's just screen. interesting to have no, no, Armageddon sure. time and Fablemans and have both these guys being like, "Look, we're not going to cast two Jews." It's not like my parents were Jewish. <laughs> yeah, come on. <laughs> All right, we're done. Uh, we want people to watch We this. have to book Avatar. We're done. Okay. Folks, thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks to Marie Barty Party Barty for doing our social media and helping produce the show in a myriad Thanks of other Aunt ways. Marie. Thank you, Aunt Marie Poop Pee Pee. <laughs> Poop Pee Pee forever. Back and forth. Back and oh, forth. that's a new nickname. Poop Pee Pee? Yeah, for Marie. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure she'll <laughs> love that. We'll hear from Marie six weeks from now when she's listening to this edit saying, <laughs> cut it out. I don't want people tweeting poop pee pee at me. Um, or double it. She loves it. Thank you to J.J. Birch, who really built some massive tomes uh, for this miniseries. But uh, it turns out there's a lot of writing about Stanley Kubrick. Thank you to Pat Rounds, Joe Bowen for our artwork, AJ McKee and Alex Barron for our editing, Lee Montgomery, the great American all for our theme song. Go to blankcheckpod.com for some links to some real nerdy shit, including the uh, Patreon Blank Check special features. Uh, tune next week for the Fablemans, as we said, and then Henry Selleck after that. Uh, and as always, I think David's ready to go back to Pandora and 40X. 